0: Your move, creep Wish me luck, You cocoa. Dino, DMA Son, your ego is writing checks your body
1: can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do It's a good-looking boy I'm a member of the Imperial Senate That's time right, for! Welcome to Earth You crossed a line You yeah, know, that's just
0: like, uh, your opinion, man
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. There was a little pause there. You <laughs> there was okay? a little pause, yeah. <laughs> I, f- I forgot my line. I was like, wait a minute, there's one more thing I have to say. My name.
0: Well, Austin. And, mm-hmm. and I know last episode this was a little different, but... We have a great movie this week. Hell, we have a great month. I don't think our listeners really understand how amazing this month is going to be. It's going to be
2: really hard to get our episodes down to an appropriate length.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, listeners. I'm sorry. We try to be conscious of how long these things are, but there's so much to talk to, and talk about with these movies. And these next two, shit, I mean... There's so much to say.
2: I think last time I said that, oh, yeah, Mad Max is one of my favorite franchises of all time. This one is also in my favorite franchises of all time, even though I've never seen the third one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. so quickly, what movie are we going to be talking about this week, Austin?
2: This week, we're going to be talking about the action classic. The Matrix from 1999. Directed by the Wachowskis.
0: Yeah, Lana and Lily Wachowski. Um mm-hmm. co-directed this, wrote this, not based off of anything. An original IP. Damn, what the, those were the days, weren't they, Austin? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I guess so, yeah. I mean, I think there's some kind of like controversy over like the origin of the Matrix. I know that somebody tried to sue them for creating something about it we'll look into it later i guess Absolutely. but i i just this is so much their thing you know yes like it's so much i feel like there's things in this movie that i'm going to notice now knowing like like in speed racer like knowing about mm-hmm. what the wachowskis went through with their transitions and everything
0: mm-hmm. this was this was uh this was how do you uh pre-transition i don't know if that's uh before they they transitioned, yes, yes, they uh,
2: Lana and Lily, they're trans women.
0: Yes, and this movie was made in 1999. I I don't, I don't know how to transition from. That. I don't know how. To, I don't want to like seem <laughs> abrupt or careless.
2: Yeah, because there's there's things that I've learned since our Speed Racer episode, and I I know that like we dead named them, and that's a big no no. So I'm sorry. Yeah, about that. I actually
0: didn't know dead names were a thing. Uh, someone. A, a a friend on Facebook kind of shared an experience that they had, where they used someone's dead name, and the person wasn't upset. They were just like, eh, you know, just this is. She she sent them like pictures, kind of like like an infographic, kind of like here's kind of what things you should say and what you shouldn't say. And I didn't know mm-hmm. dead names were a thing. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I didn't want to refer to them yeah. as as like the like who they were before. You know,
2: I think it was when. Elliot Page came out. The way that the media's like um, the titles of the the, the articles saying that she's come out as trans, or that he's come out as trans man. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, wait a minute. And with how they, with what was offensive about, it, I had to like read up on it. I had to ask people. i like, oh,
0: okay. Well, it's oh. you know, I again, um, there's a lot that we don't know. And that's why, and that's why we do this. We we want to revisit, but we also want to respect the filmmakers nowadays. And we gotta learn. You know what I mean? We have to learn. We have to educate ourselves. So that's why you know when people talk about dead names and talk about you know that kind of stuff, it's really interesting. And it, you're just mm-hmm. you're just keeping up with the times. That's all it is.
2: Yeah. But. You know the world moves, and we should move with it.
0: Absolutely. Like the Wachowskis. <laughs> However, sometimes it is good to revisit stuff. Like we will revisit yes. this movie.
2: Um, My God, this this movie is man. Do you remember where you were when you
0: first saw it? Do you remember when you saw it? uh, I don't remember when or where. I just remember the experience of watching it. Um, and it fucked me up. (laughs) I (laughs) after that experience, I didn't watch this movie for years. Wow, really? Because it fucked me up. There's one scene in particular. Um, I can't even remember if it was when I was living here in. Paramount and Bell Gardens. This movie came out in 99. I moved to I moved to Paramount in 2001 ah, So it's a tight window, but I can't remember what in what living room I was in But I do remember watching the scene where the Smiths are holding Neo down in the table Like when they capture him in the building and he gives him the finger as a kid I, I thought that was hilarious. He's like <laughs> "Give me my call and I'll give you the finger I thought that was really funny, but then they put up, they throw them on the table and then they they, pull out the belly button thing. Yeah. That belly button thing fucked me up. Oh my God. It's, it traumatized me. And I, and I had to leave. I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. And the next time I went back in to see kind of like what was happening, they were sucking the, the score, the liquid scorpion up or whatever (laughs) with the machine in the car. And I was like, no, okay, I'm done. No more. And I never watched it. I I didn't watch (laughs) it after that until years later. And even when I revisited the the film and I actually watched it, it it still got to me. Maybe it was like Mm -hmm. that. Maybe, you know, I don't like avocado. Yes. Uh, I had an instance where my dad forced me as a child. I threw it up. Years later, he did it again. I threw it up. I guess now I have like a, I just don't like avocado because psychologically Mm -hmm. something's wrong with me. I think that's what happened with this movie where psychologically I saw that scene and it messed me up so much that even now rewatching it, it kind of irks me a little bit. You know, it's just <laughs> it's like the scene with Robocop where they kill Murphy.
2: Yeah, for me, um, I remember when this movie came out because uh everyone was talking about it and I think my uncle, we used to. My family, we used to go to my uncle's and we would watch a bunch of movies over there, play a lot of Smash Brothers, a lot of uh, GoldenEye, Mario Kart and all this stuff. Mm. And my dad really wanted to see The Matrix. And I was like, I want to see The Matrix. And he was like, well, it's rated R, so you can't see it. And then I, I could like hear him watching it downstairs. And then <laughs> when it was over, I was like, how was it? And he's like can't really explain it it's kind of confusing you'd have to see it to understand knowing that he wouldn't let me watch it so mm-hmm. I had this like question in my head what is the matrix for I don't know how long I don't know how long I have had that question in maybe years it wasn't mm-hmm. until I caught it on TV I was like waiting for it to come on like TNT or TBS or whatever I didn't care I wanted to see the matrix it stuck with me I really liked it and then when the second one came out I knew it was going to be rated R or I was like I was hoping it wouldn't be rated R because the first one wasn't really that violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember seeing it being rated R and my heart sinking. And then and then they came out with that game. Enter the Matrix.
0: Oh
2: And man. When, when that game was rated T for teen, that might That's have been exactly. one of the only games that I bought full price. That's my allowance money. <laughs> <laughs> I, played, I played the hell out of that game. I love that game. Oh, uh, that game was awesome.
0: You know what's funny? Because mm-hmm. you know you're talking about that R rating, you not being able to watch it because of it. It's funny yeah. because the, I think that's what the MPAA does. Like, hey, chill, this isn't suitable for children. When they're saying that, they're referring to kids like me. <laughs> when they <laughs> see that belly button scene, just like, <gasps> <gasps> um, that's
2: maybe funny. that scene wasn't like as graphic on TV, so I didn't. I don't know. I, don't... I was just like. Into the movie,
0: there was like, something. There was something about like because he was the main character, and seeing them like forcefully holding him down as they're like mm-hmm. ripping his shirt off, there was something really violent about it. Do you know what I mean? It's violating. It, yeah. It, it, yes, it's violating, and I think that's why. That's why I think the RoboCop scene kind of messed me mm-hmm. up too because it's it's very much some person dominating another person. Yeah. Um, and making them f- very Powerless, and I think mm-hmm. that messed me up as a kid a lot. Um, not trying to get all psych one hundred and one, but <laughs> <laughs> no. But it, I might not think it's too violent now, but I mean, back in ninety nine, it could have been though. I don't know.
2: Yeah I, became... I I've heard I've heard some weird things about like why it was rated R because the language isn't even that bad. You know, it's not like a Tarantino movie. <laughs> uh, there might be a few f-bombs here and there but but i've heard that like with martial arts how you film the martial arts can give you an r rating just just
0: like that we spoke about that with dylan yeah and which is which is great because dylan's gonna be on here he's our special Mm -hmm. guest for this week he will be in the second part but after we finished watching black widow together i don't know how we got onto the conversation but he did say like if you see a kick to the head that's a, almost like an instant R rating. I'm. i If you like
2: shoot somebody point blank and you show it happen, that's an R rating.
0: Which yes, happens in this movie when she says,
2: "Dodge this."
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> well, but well, I mean that that being rated R doesn't surprise me. But like some of the things he was saying, like if you show a hit in a particular angle, get, angle, if mm-hmm. you show a hit from a particular angle and the way you film it and stuff, even like fist to fist, fist fights. Yeah. That could get you an R rating. I was like that is really interesting. That mm-hmm. I it's not something that you normally think about. This movie has a martial
2: arts vibe to it, like mm-hmm. Hong Kong martial arts, and a lot of those movies are rated R when they were when they came to the States despite not being very violent in the way that we would think mm-hmm. that an R rated movie is violent.
0: I'm really curious to to see why this has an R rating. I mean, there are obviously certain moments when Trinity shoots that agent in the head. But, you know, I am curious how much blood is there. It's not like
2: uh, it's not like shooting Marvin in the face. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Like, no, <laughs> exactly.
0: It's, there's no scene. There's no equivalent to that, I, I would imagine. None. When was the last time you saw this film?
2: It was a while ago. I don't even remember. I don't even know if I saw it, like, all the way through. I think when we go see it together, it'll be the first time I've seen it all the way through. Yeah, I was going to say in a long time,
0: I think the last time I saw this was probably back in high school and not because I dislike it or anything. It's just one of those films that, you know, yeah, it's it it takes a while to rewatch it. It, I still liked it when I I loved Mm -hmm. it when I watched it. Um, Oh,
2: it's one of my favorite movies, probably top 10.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Or the
2: second one. I love the second one.
0: I you know what? I don't hate the sequels. I'm just gonna look. Are they as great as the first one? No, they, or I don't think so, but they're not terrible. Like they're not. Yeah. For some off.
2: reason it was put into my brain that the sequels were terrible. So I I avoided the third one. So I didn't want it to like ruin the matrix for me, but I said the same thing about
0: speed racer. Well, and I always preach this and you do too. You got to give movie chances. Like this is, this is what we're, this is why we do this. Cause we, if you haven't seen these movies, you got to give them a chance or rewatching them because you got to form your own opinion, man. Because, again, if I had listened to what people said about Speed Racer, I would have missed out on one of my favorite films of all time. I love Speed mm-hmm. Racer. Actually, I'm going to go on out on the limb and say, I think I prefer Speed Racer over The Matrix. <laughs> uh, I Good. have a
2: more of an emotional impact with that movie than I have watching The Matrix movies. But I haven't seen Matrix Resurrections yet. And the trailer gets me so emotional, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. You were saying that in the text so chat. So emotional. <laughs> Like when when people were trying to buy Spider-Man tickets and they're having problems with it, I was worried I wouldn't be able to see the Matrix on
0: opening weekend. (laughs) I I was one of those people. I fucking waited for three hours to get Spider-Man No Way Home tickets and AMC would boot me out every time. I still haven't gotten my tickets, so I'm fucked. (laughs) I got my
2: Matrix tickets today, like the first day you could. And then I I got the Spider-Man tickets from like, well, I guess I should get the Spider-Man tickets, too, since
0: I'm already here. (laughs) <laughs> no i yeah i haven't seen this movie in years austin and i are going to re-watch it with dylan we're watching it in the imax in the amc imax sc- they have a special amc imax screening for it which is gonna be really mm-hmm. dope i've never seen this movie in theaters obviously so i'm gonna be really it's gonna be really cool to witness it mm-hmm. in that in that setting um i i'm excited for it i still love speed racer man i just but isn't that isn't that great though that you have these filmmakers that have made films that like more than just one film that have like really resonated with you you know i I mean love yeah i know
2: that we like talked about it before about like who's on your um mount rushmore filmmakers if the wachowskis are not on your mount rushmore filmmakers you fucked up Alright. <laughs> you fucked up. What
0: I love about them is that they're ambitious. Like so they, ambitious. But they don't they change the way
2: action movies were made with the Matrix.
0: Yeah, but that's the thing. They they're they they're ambitious, but they don't but they've got the action chops behind them to to, to you know what I mean? Like even if you watch the Matrix and you don't understand what's happening, like the themes, the subtext or any of that. You could still watch it for just the action scenes alone and you'll have a great time. You know, the way the the, the car ch- the races and car chases and speed races are filmed, those are people who know how to film action oh, yeah. and how to edit it together and just have mm-hmm. a great sense of pace and it's, it's wonderful to, to to watch a movie and just feel like they know what the directors know what they're doing. So I'm in a good spot, you know. Um Yeah. They're that- artists yeah and and again you know they they have had some minor misses you know the uh, only
2: movie that i've seen from them that i didn't like was jupiter Jupiter. ascending yeah that's
0: it but i i didn't like completely hate it either cloud atlas is super ambitious i think that's so good i love that one that that movie you can almost talk about that movie as much as the matrix because I just don't think it's gotten the attention that The Matrix got. But there's a lot happening in Cloud Atlas. Oh, yeah. That movie's like three hours long, right? Mm-hmm. Fucking long. Um, the only thing, and I know we should be talking about The Matrix, but the only thing that kind of weirds me out about the new one is that only Lana came back to direct. Lily is absent, and she said some things about it that... Not had me worried, but made me raise my eyebrow a bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh? they interviewed Lily as to why she wasn't directing Matrix Res- uh, Resurrections. And she said, um, Lana had come up with this idea for another Matrix movie. And we had this talk. And it was actually, we started talking about it in between our dad dying and our mom dying. Which was like five oh, weeks apart. Wow. Five weeks apart, losing your parents. That's Jesus tough, dude. Lily said... And there was something about the idea of going backwards and being a part of something that I had I had done before that was expressly unappealing. And like I didn't want to go I I didn't and I didn't want to have gone through my transition and gone through this massive upheaval in my life, the sense of loss for my mom and dad to want to go back to something that I had done before and sort of walk over old paths that I had walked in, felt emotionally unfulfilling and really the opposite. Like, I was going to go back and live in those old shoes, old shoes in a way, and I didn't want to do that. So, I mean, look, she went through a lot. Like, she she says that she, they were working on Sensei, they had worked on other movies, some of them had gotten canceled, she went through her transition, Parent, both of her parents dying, a lot of stuff happening there. But just saying something like unappealing, emotionally unfulfilling live in these old shoes, just those kind of words just kind of make me a little like, huh.
2: but isn't that what we do on this podcast? Don't we go back and go through our old shoes? Yeah. We're seeing if they're still good.
3: Yeah. What more can be said
2: about, about the matrix world. Maybe, maybe Lily doesn't want to do that again. And Lana does. I don't think that Lana Wachowski would do anything that
0: she wasn't proud of, you know? I don't know. I I am curious to see what would Lily want to do. Not this. Lily does not want to do the Matrix. Same with uh, Ethan Cohen, he didn't want to do Tragedy of Macbeth and I'm like,
2: why why didn't he want to do it? It'll be much much like further down the line like 20, 30 something before we actually find like the truth.
0: Yeah, you know? Lily Lily's not going to say anything. After this movie's release, she yeah, Why would probably she say will. anything
2: to sabotage her sister?
0: Exactly. There's no. That's a good point. She wouldn't outright say this movie's garbage, like you know, screw Lana. No, I don't think so.
2: I mean, the only thing that I was disappointed with is no Lawrence Fishburne. I, but I guess there's something that happens in one of the games that I didn't play that
0: explains that. The MMO, right? Yeah, I've read articles about that saying that this might reference that game which kind of sucks because I'm like, now we can't go back and play that game. Oh, there, yeah,
2: because it's, it's uh, gone forever.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's the problem with these live service games. Once they're gone, they are gone. You can't go mm-hmm. back and replay them. It's not like single player games.
2: Like rides at theme parks. You can't go back when they, they change that ride. Hollywood Tower of Terror, gone.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Now it's a Guardians of the Galaxy one. I do have a theory as to why Lawrence Fishburne isn't back, but it doesn't make any sense. I think well, oh shit, you haven't seen Revolution. Okay, never mind. I can't tell you because you haven't seen Revolutions.
2: Yeah, well, by the time that I watch the fourth one, or maybe by the time we watch the, but we come back for the second part of this episode, I will
0: have seen all of them. Okay, now I will tell you then. Um, no, nah, man, I, I'm super excited about this film. This film is one of the biggest movies, well, one of the biggest sci-fi films of all time. I think it's fair to say.
2: Uh, Yeah, I it's, Definitely one of the highest grossing. Well, the Matrix was one of the highest grossing R rated movies. I think mm-hmm. only uh, Terminator 2 and Saving Private Ryan uh, sold more or made more mm-hmm. at the box office. But Saving Private Ryan is a Spielberg movie. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And the other one is a James Cameron movie. Yeah. You know? The well, first ever $100 million action movie the matrix was done by the wachowskis who i think before they had only done a a film called bound and it was only a 65 million dollar budget the matrix the matrix
0: Ooh. okay
2: so it it, will go over the box office of 1999
0: apparently 99 is one of the greatest years of cinema of all time have you heard that statement
2: no, but I, I don't like grandiose statements like that.
0: No, no, I, it's it's hyperbolic, but yeah. <laughs> you, you look at the list of movies that did come out that year and like, oh, damn, it was banger after banger after banger.
2: Yeah, definitely a lot of good movies. Yeah, um, you're going
0: to go over the list right now? Yeah.
2: Number one, let's do worldwide, because I think worldwide shows you like how the scale of the Matrix. Uh, number one at the box office was Star Wars. Episode one, The Phantom Menace. Oh, of course. With, with a billion Number 2, The Sixth Sense, with oh. 670 million. Number 3, Toy Story 2, with 511 million, and then The Matrix at number 4, 465, followed by Tarzan. And number 6, The Mummy. Number 7, Notting Hill. 8, The World Is Not Enough. 9, American Beauty. And number 10, Austin Powers, and The Spy Who Shagged Me. The second Austin Powers movie. Also coming out this year, American Pie, The Blair Witch Project, The Green Mile. uh, Fight Club. Eyes Wide Shut. Ooh, love it. Varsity Blues, Never Been Kissed. I've never seen that. (laughs) Girl Interrupted. Never heard of it. uh, And Being John Malkovich.
0: Ooh, man. Charlie Kaufman fucking people up since 99. <laughs> A lot of good movies. Um, Yeah, this movie, critically, 88% Rotten Tomatoes out of 156 critics, 85% with audiences. Man, don't you miss it when critics and audiences agreed on something? That's most and of the
2: time. Is it most of the time? It is. We've talked about this before. It's just when know. there's discrepancy, it's very loud.
0: Okay. No. Yes. Okay, you're right. I I, I do remember this conversation now the few times it doesn't happen it is loud um yeah no but i'm this movie huge one of the biggest films of the year and i mean it's it stood the test of time to many people i mean we're still talking about it they're still parodying it (laughs) still still i mean jesus christ what what aspect of this movie hasn't been parodied i know right and you still have uh keanu reeves who's who's been blowing up in past few years coming back for the fourth one mm-hmm. so maybe i'm rushing in i'm pretty sure this movie holds up oh yeah uh, i don't you know i don't i wouldn't bet against it i'm just curious as to how much and whether it changed my opinion about speed racer because i might rewatch it. He's like oh you know what i don't know man this movie just hits different i i it really does, like
2: it. it it hits different dude it's there's it's just a it's a classic dude it's one of the b- best action movies of all time and it, yeah. if it's if it's not then the matrix reloaded is one of the best action movies of all time
0: oh action sci-fi films of all time you the know matrix just,
2: reloaded is the fourth highest grossing r-rated movie of
0: all time the matrix reloaded
2: the matrix reloaded
0: i remember the hype being so huge for Reloaded that we were watching the nightly news and people were waiting in line to go see this movie. The Matrix Reloaded promises
1: out of this world special effects. (laughs) And after anxiously awaiting the sequel, some Atlanta fans are a little out of this world. Nigel, a runner. Null pointer, runner. Stevens, agent. Simon, a runner. Freeman, 713, I am a sentinel.
0: But it was huge,
1: huge!
0: Yeah, The Matrix was a big deal. The Revolutions didn't make as much as Reloaded. No,
2: but mm-hmm. also their decision to release Revolutions within the same year. I i can't imagine Warner Brothers was uh, willing to do that.
0: Well, it's... they released Revolutions six months after the second one, right? Mm-hmm. That's weird. That's a very strange move, because normally you'd wait at least a year, you know? So... Yeah, the the first film has some time to kind of seep itself into the culture, and then you have a year in anticipation. A year is not that long, but it's also kind of long if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's why it worked brilliantly with uh, Infinity War. Or no, 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 Infinity War and Endgame. You get
2: people like really, really excited, and then they'll like, you know, buy the the stuff in between to get excited. Because when the last one hits, then it's like kind of all over.
0: Yeah. Well, y- you can't exactly. What so. they did
2: was the, you know, apart from it being a sequel, it is like the least capitalist thing you could do. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> You're not going <laughs> to maximize profits by putting the sequel to your movie out within the same year. Yeah. That's wild. And that, I don't think anyone's ever done that again. I think because they learned. I'm sure Warner Brothers wanted to be experimental. I don't think they did. I think that was the like they found the middle ground with the Wachowskis because the Wachowskis wanted revolutions out, like at the same time as Reloaded.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. No. Well, even if you're I'm like, if no. you're a
2: studio, like yeah, why would you want that?
0: Ooh, ah, okay, I want to go in. I want to. I want to research that a little. Yeah, bit.
2: there's a there. The Wachowskis are very, very... I have a respect for them. Like, the same kind of respect that I have for, like, David Lynch. You know, like, there's... They're they're geniuses, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm sure they had their reasons for making the third one. Why they wanted the third one to come out the way it did.
0: I really am curious.
2: Which makes me want to watch both of them back to back. To see if that changes... If it enhances the experience or whatever.
0: In terms of this movie... I, I want to talk about the influences. That's what I want to research. The influences behind the Matrix. Where did they get this from? Because, I mean, you mentioned one of it, um, some uh, Chinese action films. You know what I mean? We're talking about the films of John Woo, Jackie Chan. They were clearly inspired by that. But kind mm-hmm. of what else? How do you come up with such a crazy fucking idea like the Matrix? You know what I mean? I mean I'm sure science fiction literature and novels have been talking about simulations and things yeah. being fake and stuff but, but
2: when people say we live in a simulation they're referring to the matrix
0: the me ma- exactly they're not <laughs> talking about you know what influenced the matrix so much that the matrix is now the thing that everyone you know simulation that's what i'm really curious about the influences and obviously the filming because i mean this pushed the tech oh, in terms yeah. of, of in terms of filming you you haven't seen you i don't I'm pretty sure we before this, we hadn't seen bullet time before the way it's presented. No, in the movie like the
2: like the camera moving around the action going really slow. Like that's I don't think anyone's ever done that before.
0: That's like the equivalent of the fucking moonwalk, you know, like <laughs> it's the moonwalk it, of action movies. <laughs> I kind of think about it. You know, people see that and it just blows their mind. How did they do that? I'm sure that's what the exactly that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. When they saw that fight scene with Trinity with the kick. How the fuck did they do that?
2: I remember seeing like uh, a thing on TV explaining how they did it. And I was
0: like, how would you even think to do that? How, why, how would they? That's exactly what I want to know. How did they even how do you even come up with that? Maybe maybe they had seen it in an anime and they were like, how can we recreate this in person?
2: Yeah, that's probably it.
0: <laughs> it most likely, but. That still takes a lot of innovation and a lot of hard work. Because if you look at Mm -hmm. behind the scenes pictures of uh, Neo and Mr. Smith, when they do that, like jump thing at each other. Yeah. Woo. Wild man. How do you go from that setup to what we get at the end of the film? That's what we're going to find out, man. That's what I'm really curious about.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: What are you, what are you curious about with this film?
2: Um, I'm curious about the, um, how how the movie kind of relates to their experience as trans people cuz i feel like the whole thing about you know the the body existing without the the body can't exist without the mind and how the mind is so important to the the body and um how you're kind of like a different person in the real world or in like the the physical world but you, you uh, it's there's i think there's some stuff going on in there you know what i mean like miss mr anderson my name is neo like i think there's something there you know what i mean
0: i i'm curious to know more about their journey into transition do you know what i mean and what mm-hmm. they felt yeah how does someone even how does that even come up into someone like, is it slowly something that you just feel grows inside of you? Or is it something that maybe you just one day wake up and it's like, this this isn't me. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what that's like. And I want, I'd like to learn a little bit more about their experience. And maybe there's the chance that they had these feelings when they were making the original matrix. Maybe I I think,
2: yeah, I think definitely. Like, I think that, uh, definitely influenced the story of of this of this of the matrix
0: i know i mean we mentioned this before in our speed racer episode but it definitely played a role in speed racer you know that was back in 2008 and you could relate that story like it it was them transition being who you are being true to who you are being an artist and stuff but you could see the seeds of of what they were going through in that film wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. i'm curious to see how much of that is in this movie because it might be very subtle maybe might be a line of dialogue or it might be something that is right in front of us and Mm. we just didn't pick up on it because it was 99 or we haven't seen in a long time or maybe we were just clueless as to what how they were feeling That's what I'm curious about I'm really curious to see what that's like yeah me too we're gonna have so much to talk about
2: this movie is an experience
0: yeah I'm glad we're seeing
2: it in IMAX
0: yeah, first time, my first time seeing it in theaters. Mm-hmm. So, and we will be watching it with Dylan, who will be our guest. And I'm really curious to see why, how he feels about it. First time he watched it and what he thinks about it now.
2: Yeah, he, we showed him what we were going to cover for the rest of the year. He was like, nah, I don't want my original choice. Bump that. We're doing the Matrix.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, he, I want to know what drives that enthusiasm to want to talk about the Matrix.
2: All right. Well, this is on HBO Max if you want to see it with us. So if you have an HBO Max subscription, all the Matrix movies are on there. And I'm going to be watching all of them. Um, So we will see you in one minute.
1: The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. When you're inside... You look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system and that makes them our enemy. Have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. Were you listening to me, Neo? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? I was Look again.
3: Is it?
2: Hello and welcome back. We have just finished watching The Matrix from 1999 directed by the
0: Wachowskis. And with us we have Dylan. Hello. Dylan was in our was in an episode a year ago. Uh roughly one wow, year. Ago. Time flies. I can't believe it's been that long. <laughs> Yeah, you. we brought you on for our special New Year's episode where we were talking about distribution and kind of Warner Brothers' um, change or plan to release their films, both in theaters and in their streaming service, HBO Max, at the same time. And you had a lot to say about that. It was a great conversation. Very informative. It's interesting because we're coming at it, like you said, a, a year ago, and now
4: we're kind of seeing the end of this strategy for Warner Brothers play out, and it's dovetailing it with The Matrix, you know, the fourth one to come out uh, for Christmas time. So this is a interesting way to kind of see the aftermath on how the films have performed over the years uh, or this year.
0: It's been a crazy year, but you are right. This is Warner's last film of the year, The Matrix Resurrections. And we decided to go watch the original 1999 film in theaters in IMAX. Just a few days ago. Just a few days ago. Yeah. Uh but before we talk about that experience Dylan uh how'd you first watch the film you You like the Matrix you love the Matrix? Talk to us a little bit about that
4: yeah so i I saw this film with my parents uh uh right when it came out I was uh, nine years old, and uh it was actually you know at the discount theaters in San Jose when they would do double features. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would pay a very small amount and you would go from one auditorium to the other as they would be loop basically looping two films and the collection at that weekend was the mummy and uh, the matrix and my sister and I at the time had a very you know habit obsession with uh, you know Egyptian culture and just all the uh, you know the calligraphy and that kind of the hieroglyphics kind of like all that kind of stuff we were obsessed with it (laughs) and uh, we were really interested in seeing that film and seeing how that turned out and uh Uh, My parents were like, you know, you're, you know, they love Keanu Reeves. They were, you know, they really liked uh, his earlier films, and I don't, not sure if Speed had come out at the time, but yeah, they were really into Keanu Reeves, and so like, they're like, Dylan, you're gonna like this movie. Don't worry. I'm like, I really just want to see the mummy. I don't care about the Matrix. I don't know what this is. Uh, And that was the first film of the two. And uh, I sat down and watched it. Obviously, it was probably more violent than it should have been for you know the age (laughs) I was. But my parents were really (laughs) wanted to see the movie, so they're like, oh, we're tagging along so that he could see the mummy after, whatever. Uh, But watching the matrix for the first time in that theater completely it uh, it unlocked something for me it, it uh, you know you hear it all the time from other people but yeah this film definitely like changed my life and made me think about storytelling and the you know the identity of self and 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 just so many different themes that this this film covers in such a masterful way that combines you know blockbuster intrigue and action and uh, it, it was a, a wonderful experience. And then after that movie, I was not interested in the Mummy at all. I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're gonna go see the Mummy after this. But you know, <laughs> not not to knock it, the Mummy was cool. It was a good movie. But yeah, it, uh, the Matrix is a absolute 10 out of 10. And seeing it in IMAX uh, this week was it was incredible. It definitely holds up. Uh, great
2: experience, and I, I can't wait for the fourth one now coming out. So watching in IMAX, like I, cause I. When I was preparing for this episode I'd go back and watch some scenes from the first one on HBO Max and I'm like man it looks so much better in IMAX it's it's it looks so
0: good to this day you know Yeah we you, I mean you talked a little bit about it but the process to actually re-release these films in IMAX it, there's there's some post work that needs to be done on it right Dylan Yeah and-
4: I've had, I've had the pleasure of work, uh, meeting um a person who works at distribution at IMAX and they were talking to me about uh, all the steps they go through when taking a a film, uh, you know, it's much easier now with the current movies because they have more access to the individual assets um, to re-render things in higher resolution. But for legacy titles that like the, like The Matrix '99, which was shot on film, you know, they can go into the uh, ne- film negatives and basically redo the coloring and remake, uh, like basically with very high density, continue to re-render the film to match not only their aspect ratio but just the 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 larger footprint, like the major like I think that's like over a hundred feet foot wide screens that they have to you know display these on their projectors, so you know with a film like this, you know they're really. Uh, working really hard and using a lot of render farms to basically ex- export the movie in a very high resolution format that has never been released before at a very high bit rate. So, you know, and it definitely showed when we were watching an IMAX, like everything looked really clean and the colors were accurate. It was just a really incredible experience uh, to watch it's in that a... way. It felt like a movie
0: released
2: like this year. Yeah, yeah. it does not seem like a movie released in 1999.
0: That's Hell sure. no. I remember saying it to to you guys right after we left. If we had screens like Robocop or, you know, some of the other films that we've talked about on the podcast and put them on IMAX, they might look a little aged, you know, or you might be able to tell, oh, this was, you know, a 90s, 80s film or whatever. But this this movie looks like it was shot. It feels like it was a movie that was released for 2021. It looks so good. So crisp. Ah, it's beautiful. Beautiful to look at. Yeah, I think we were, uh, when we
4: were talking about it afterwards, it was like only one shot that looked a little suspect. And it was just like when they uh, when they blew up the, the ground floor of that that agent building and, and yeah. all, all the fires <laughs> and the elevator door was swinging around. It looked like ragdoll
2: effects from the way. Yeah, the way it's bouncing around. Mm-hmm. But other than that, everything is perfect. I
0: honestly like. Even the CGI, because, you know, in Robo, bringing up RoboCop, you know, ED-209 has an age tool, but it doesn't matter. It
2: kind of lends itself to how ineffective ED-209 actually is, yeah. how how practically ineffective it is.
0: Absolutely. But so- it,
2: in, in this film, the world that we're seeing isn't really the real world. It's a simulation. So it, if things are a little weird, you could say, you could rationalize it in your brain that, oh, it's because it's not really how a building explodes it's not really how
0: a helicopter crashes into a building, you know absolutely, but yeah. even then, like all the c g i that they use for the most part, it looks really good there's really no moments where it kind of breaks the illusion. The one shot being the explosion on the first floor, which but honestly it's one shot it doesn't even it's not that's that's being nitpicky that's going in looking for something wrong, but as a yeah. whole. This movie holds up so fucking well. Let's talk about the story of The
2: Matrix, because uh, it's usually what we do at this point. Uh, usually, George and I will do it, but do you want to take a crack at it, Dylan?
4: Sure, I can give it a shot. Um, so, the, the Matrix begins uh, in the perspective of uh, a man named Thomas Anderson, who is desperately searching for answers about what his place in the world is. And he feels like there's something off about his life, and he doesn't have really the passion or the drive to sort of live. And he sort of found his home in computers and, and looking for this auspicious man who might have the answers uh, called Morpheus. Uh, he is basically in search for this man, and all the, and all the while, there are other agents uh, of this world, uh, authorities who are searching for him as well, do the crimes that he's committed in the computer space and hacking world. And uh, this slowly begins a journey of discovering that he might be a more important person to this world than he realizes. And this uh, discovers that he's living in a simulation world and uh, finds his place and role to become the man who is destined to change and disrupt that world and free the human race from this machine world that has uh, uh, basically enslaved uh, the human population in a post-apocalyptic world.
0: Holy shit! <laughs> no, th- yeah, that, that, that was a minute. <laughs> that, no, but that that that's perfect. It's a perfect. Yeah, I mean, summary yeah without, because... without
4: going into more of the characters and things, which I know we will get into, but that that I would say is uh, the the very general like one minute summary of the film. Yeah,
0: you hit the core of the story, which is about Neo or Anderson trying to find their place in the world and trying to find the truth as to what's happening because things are a little off and. it's funny because that theme alone has already, you know, people trying to find their place in the world and what's the truth and stuff that has been fueling so many different, that idea has been fueling so many stories and so many theories in audiences. But in recent years, it's kind of taken a new life. Um, When, when the Wachowski siblings went through their transition, people have been going back and, seeing this film in a new light it's we're not gonna talk about it yet but it's very exciting you know i just this movie makes me very excited yes i know we saved it still till the end but this movie holds up (laughs) it holds up so fucking well okay and Uh you should you you should you should go back and
2: watch this yeah and if you haven't seen it it is on hbo max uh if you use your free trial this is the one movie you should see no you should see all three of them yeah, you you should. Yes. Cuz I saw all three of them. I saw the third one for the first time uh 2 days ago and I was like, "You did?" Yeah, I was like, "Wow. Why did I wait so long?" Why? <laughs> <laughs> um but but that's a uh, that's another story. Um yeah, it's good that you watched the third one recent
4: to a uh, this fourth one be, that's coming out because I understand that a lot of the characters that have that made it to the end will will play a role in the new one, so.
2: Oh yeah. I watched the the two back to back, two and three, mm, which fantastic. is the way that the Wachowskis originally wanted people to yes. watch the film. Yep. But anyway, you talked about how this film, uh, there's a word that you use, it kind of blew people's minds. Uh, it's, it's exciting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in the very beginning of the film, we see something that we've not really seen before is that shot when... Uh, Trinity jumps in the air and crank kicks that cop into a wall.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Nobody had ever seen something like that before
0: mm-hmm.
2: right the The way that they filmed those sequences where time slows down and the camera moves around them, it's insane. They used like over a hundred cameras like put in this imagine like a green a green screen room right, mm-hmm. and you have cameras right next to each other going around almost 360 degrees. And you film the action and all the cameras take like a single frame of, of the action and then it goes to the next one and then it takes a frame to goes to the next one. Uh, and then you, you put the actors in a, like you film the location of where you want them to be in and then you merge the images together. And they're mm-hmm. also creating frames in between as a, as a way of um, I think the word is interlacing
3: there is a very heavy digital half to this capture um, not every frame uh, that a camera captures is the only frames that will be seen there's a, uh, a lot of uh, a process we call interpolation which is the uh, creation of frames digitally that are the byproduct of real frames that is we analyze what real frames we have, and we can create uh, new frames of moments in between the captured frames uh, to make moves uh, longer and uh, or stretch them out, or do time compression effects. Uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of work going on uh, in the, the art form of interpolation, and uh, I just it needs it needs to be said because it's not what you see is what you get.
4: I remember in the behind the scenes doc that someone is like literally like pulling a string that that basically like dominoes takes a picture of the action in Mm -hmm. sequential order of of the whole rig that they have set up in the 180 degrees plus field of view that they're shooting. Um, And then, yeah, they're basically stitching all those frames together. And because it's a still image, they can basically paint over. And that's sort of how they do films now, except now they do it in moving pictures because graphics are, you know computer processors are so good now they can render things in real time. But at that time they're, they're working with still frames and they're basically painting each one to make the effect
0: work. That's crazy. And they do this multiple times. It's not just yes. a one trick. This, this movie's not a one trick pony. I mean, that the bullet time alone makes like three or four uh There's the, trinity,
2: the f- trinity kicking the cop uh, and then there's when Neo dodges the the bullets for the first time and then when they're on the roof when he jumps at Agent Smith, when Morpheus takes a bullet through the through the yes. wall, they do it there too, yeah,
0: I was gonna say one of the things that held up really well that I liked about this film is that it feels very grounded, you know for a film about computers and simulations. everything feels real, you know, like the sets it has a sense of space and groundedness that I feel some films just lack nowadays, you know, not not to harp on Marvel, but the bulk of those movies are done with special effects visual effects and you know it is what it is when you have a man turning 12 feet and green you know there's not much you can do practically with that so that's not to harp on marvel but with with this film it's just kind of like a breath of fresh air you're like wow look at these rooms and these sets and how they're moving and you could tell that there's some wire work there but it's really good and the CGI doesn't isn't really distracting. It enhances it so much. You know, when you I, go I
2: think bo- it's because the, the people themselves aren't CGI
0: replacements. They're actual people. This movie took a lot of stunt people, a lot of wires, a lot of yeah. beatings. But in the end, it pays off because all the fight scenes. You feel every hit, it's so quick. Oh, I, I, I love it. It's so good. It's all around. Yeah.
4: Yeah, all the characters yeah. really have their, you know, their, they do the heavy lifting in terms of, you know, the choreography and, and, and carrying the heavy lifting when it comes to, you know, just accomplishing the shot uh, for the sake of the story. Like, every character has their own fighting style. You know, I really love, like, when Neo first starts to, you know, he learns Kung Fu and you have that great scene sequence in the in the dojo room with Morpheus and he's fighting him and he's he's like, oh, their first... you know tests out his punching ability then he learns his kicks and over the course of the the three films you you notice that like uh he likes to do his kicks more than he likes to do his punches he seems like he's better with that and i feel like every character has their own sort of style when it comes to their combat and and trinity with her driving skills and it's just uh, all these all these characters kind of have their own personality that i think really comes forward in in this world that really builds it out and sort of Let's let's every any one viewer find the the one character that they, they most identify with and and find their own self within this this world So it's it's definitely something that that kind of all comes together in a very cohesive very masterful
0: way Yes, absolutely. I mean the way I see it this movie has aged like a goddamn fine wine <laughs> And in every regard, I mean we, we talked about the action scene. We're talking about visual effects characters the story you know i said this with children of men but that the reason that's one of my favorite films is because there's a there's a it feels like there's equal parts of action entertainment but also deep thought deep thought and care to the story and the meaning the themes the philosophy behind it you know there's a lot to discuss there a lot of the philosophy Matrix? oh yeah and there's and to, in like the children of men like there's allusions to religion to science, um, it, 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 to uh, real-life world events like the Holocaust, right? That's that. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I love it when a film can balance those two things very equally. The Matrix does it, too. I just mm-hmm. And it's funny because it never really clicked, but it totally does. I mean, we saw the film with my dad, and he said that he saw this movie in 1999. And I was six years old. He saw it. He's an immigrant from Nicaragua. And his English wasn't that great. You know, he understood a little bit of it, but not all the way through. He said that he enjoyed the movie because of the action scenes. He was able to enjoy it. And the film resonated with him so much that he had to buy the movie and watch the next two. He goes back now and it's like it's a completely different film because now he understands more of the story and what all what all these things mean and stuff. Isn't that fucking awesome that he's able to in- enjoy this just as an action adrenaline piece alone, but also look at some of the philosophical themes behind this film and kind of start to wrap his head around it. That, that's fucking, oh, I love that. That, yeah. that is Those are my favorite type of movies when you can balance those two out and the Matrix balances it out so fucking well.
2: Yeah, I think that the problem with the sequels is that people were kind of expecting the philosophical stuff to take a backseat to the action, but that's not really the case. There's a lot more philosophical exposition that's kind of dumped on you. And if you're not ready for that, you you might think that the movies are boring. But if you are ready for that, they're just so much better. Yeah, in
4: terms of just like blockbuster conventions and filmmaking and storytelling i mean at least with the first one it, it is definitely a master class uh the more i think about it. especially after what re it most recently in imax like the what struck me is just just you know uh, before in the previous episode about harry potter you guys spoke about like the hero's journey and how uh with the main character the lead in any sort of uh blockbuster like such as this one and also Harry Potter, where a lot of things sort of just happen to the character and there's a lot of exposition that kind of brings you into the world and you set up the motivations and you kind of just ride that journey. But with The Matrix, you know, you're kind of with uh, Neo, Mr. Anderson at the time in the first act, sort of exploring something that's off about this world and learning more about it you're with that character the whole time as you discover more and then as he discovers that you know this is a simulation and he gets becomes unplugged and is introduced to the real world and gets all this training by the second act after you after he sees the oracle then he gets information that the other characters don't have and then you're in back into the matrix and you're sort of with neo so you're always in his perspective and now everyone's hoping that the oracle gave him some good news and he knows that (laughs) Or he believes that he's not the one and he's just another guy, and they're all doing this for nothing. And as a viewer, it sort of changed my whole like thinking bar like wow, we're really with him. As he navigates and tries to escape the agents in the second act, and then he begins to believe in himself and tries to do something brave and, and courageous as a hero does in the turn of the third act. And then we start with him, like, is he the one? He's, he's really pulling this off right now. Let's, let's see if we can fight the agent. So like the whole, the navigating, the editing, and the pacing of this film from the first act all the way to the end, it sort of really encapsulates the hero's journey, I think, in the best way, because we're really discovering the information in a way that's it has its uh, moments of exposition that are heavy but necessary for the philosophical ideas and themes that the you know the storytellers are trying to address here but as a blockbuster it's also carrying the weight through of keeping you engaged and keeping you like uh you know entertained the whole time
0: yes a hundred percent yes
2: the exposition scenes really set the stakes because i think that when you have the sci-fi world you need to know what are the dangers? What are your abilities? What are, uh, what are you fighting for? And I think the way that they establish the agents in this movie is so good. Because yeah. at first you see her, you see Trinity fighting a bunch of cops. And then what the, you have that, that cop that's like, jurist my diction. You know? <laughs> he, uh, he says <laughs> that we sent two units after. She's just a little girl. And then Agent Smith says, no, your men are already dead. And then you see the action scene of Trinity killing all those cops. And then you have the agent chasing her, right? And the cops, like, struggling to keep up. They're like tripping over everything on the roof, barely making the jumps. And then you see her do her amazing jump across a building. And then the agent follows her without, like, really taking a breath. So you know, okay, there's something different about these agent guys. Uh, And then you have that scene where Morpheus is explaining to Neo that every single person that has
0: ever fought an agent has died <laughs> yeah oh man it, well that's that first that opening scene alone bring, brings in so many so much intrigue right like how mm-hmm. is trinity able to fight like this Do you know like with bullet time that's not something that regular people could do right right so, like running she, on
2: the walls and stuff exactly
0: yeah. it, she's so quick people are shooting at her cops are shooting at her and she's dodging these bullets so you're so you're intrigued by that but then the the agents are already they bring a presence to them so like oh who the fuck are these guys because you think oh they might be fbi agents or something yes no they're 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 not and then they kind of are what's so cool too is that scene ends with one of the agents taking that that garbage truck and running it into a phone booth When you're watching this movie in 1999, you don't know why the phone booth is important. Like, why is
2: she answering the phone? The garbage truck is going to kill her.
0: Yeah. You think, (laughs) oh, the garbage truck is going to hit her. So she has to dodge it or whatever. Why are they intrigued by this phone booth? The truck pulls back. You don't see a body there. It's like, what? Happening. <laughs> <laughs> and that's in like the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, I think five I think uh, in the late
4: nineties that that might have a little bit more association, just because you know that's the dial-up era. We haven't really gotten to broadband cable yet, you know. So <laughs> we we know the phones are tied when you're on the internet, right? Like back in the day. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. It, it is something that I think that could be a little bit like, okay, we're, we're, we're thinking at a higher level here, but you're right. The film is not really holding your hand and and it's until, until the audience is ready for until the characters understand it too. So it's, it's very like, this is the way to set up the intrigue about this world and understand the, the motivations and what were the different, like the antagonists being the agents where they're after. They now know that their next target, it's a, it's a very, like, if we're paying attention to every little piece of it, it all sorts of, they lay the breadcrumbs out very well to keep you engaged the whole time.
0: I mean, something that I want to mention that you, you brought up, Austin, was exposition, the use of exposition. I don't understand why people hate exposition. I understand that sometimes it's delivered very bluntly with no finesse. It's just thrown at you. That could be annoying. But people are like, show, don't tell. That, that's, that's always the screenwriter role <laughs> that every wannabe screenwriter throws out. Show, don't tell. And I'm like, dude, sometimes it's just easier to tell. Like just fucking tell me the way
2: that it's told too.
0: Yes, it's like this movie. I think ninety nine percent of this film, or ninety nine point nine percent of this film, has aged well. I could see some things that people would argue haven't aged well. One of them being exposition. But my argument to that is, you're throwing a lot at the audience, and this is a two hour movie. Okay, this isn't a novel that people have 10 hours to read and then you could explain everything (laughs) in detail. No, you have two hours to get in and get the fuck out. How are you going to explain all the rules of the story, the antagonist, the protagonist, the goals, the details in two hours? That shit's fucking hard. And the Wachowski sisters did it effectively. One of the best moments of exposition is when Morpheus and Neo are fighting because he's explaining to him he's explaining to him how the matrix works and how if neil tries hard enough he could start bending the rules to his will yeah and it's it's entertaining but you're also learning about it when he my favorite line of dialogue during that scene is when he says do you think that's air you're breathing (laughs) and 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 watching it in the theater i'm like Oh fuck me!
4: <laughs> yeah, I noticed. I noticed in that scene, like you know, uh, Neo was like sweating, and then the moment yeah. he said that, and Morpheus wasn't like you know, you know stressed out or, or exhausted at all he just was like as if he hadn't worked out anything and uh after that moment i think it clicked for him and now now it looks a little bit different like they're prepared and he's understanding that this is a program and that things can things can change in this world it's not like the real world and yeah it definitely like it sets up the pacing of it all so well and that like you're really uh becoming a master of this of the simulation in a way that like the audience can feel for it too the at, at the same rate that neo does yeah and that's sort of what makes it different than other blockbusters and superheroes like we you know captain america will, will be captain america and he will never i can never do what he does or will ever do but and but in this world i feel like because it's a simulation like we could all kind of be neo in a way yeah and that's sort of how all the other characters mm-hmm. were they were you know prospective the ones at uh, you know, at some point in their lives, right? And they ended up not being one. So it's sort of, they all kind of, all the other characters are looking at Neo and sort of have this sort of, it's how kind of how we look at an idol in real life. It's sort of, you know, could we be that person, you know? And this film sort of uh, expresses that sort of theme in a way that that lets the viewer kind of uh, hop along for the ride and uh, have that same sort of exploration in themselves.
0: Yes, absolutely. I that, That's a really good point. Because I feel like a lot of people, a lot of audience members in particular, felt that, um, man, I I, I could be Neo if I really tried hard, you know? Like, (laughs) oh, I'm the one that's going to wake up, you know? Wake up! Um, (laughs) I love that song, by the way. Rage Um, Against the Machine? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't mind exposition, especially in these fantastical sci-fi worlds. I mean, you know, I don't mind Mm. it. I didn't mind it in Harry Potter. And I don't mind it here. And I don't know why some people get super butthurt about it. It's like, this movie has too much exposition. I will, I will make I, the... I think the way that
2: this movie does it, though, is also visual. Like when he yes. explains yes. what the Matrix is, what the real world looks like, you're seeing that in a mm-hmm. way that I don't think a lot of movies do. When he when like sits in his chair and says, welcome to the desert of the real, mm-hmm. that crazy overhead shot that comes down and then peels back and you
0: see our world in shambles we're learning about it but we're also seeing it from neo's perspective and just how fucking terrifying it is and you said something that was fantastic dylan is that we're learning about this at the same pace that neo is learning it and i think that makes a world of difference because we are we are literally empathizing with him every step of the way you know when -hmm. people are like why why is neo a likable character I mean, he has likable traits and stuff like that, but I really think it's because the audience can identify with Neo. Every time he gets bad news or some, every time he's in a fight scene, it's like we're literally in his shoes. And I think, I think that has part of, part of to do with the exposition and kind of the pace that he learns about the world, you know? And if this, I don't want to say this, but if this was like a real scenario, this is how people would say this, you know? This is what the Matrix looks like. This is what happened in the real world, you know? Um, yeah, I, let's go I into agree. Let's fight simulation.
4: Yeah, I agree. You guys brought up great points. It's, it's really, like, the exposition in, in the definition of, like, the current blockbuster sense, like, that's not... I agree. That's not what's happening here, like... When when Morpheus is explaining things to Neos, it's usually in riddles, and sometimes it's either in riddles or he's like showing it in the simulation program, like you mentioned about the desert and like showing how like you know the machines are changing humans into a battery, and he shows the like the the Durcell battery. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how much they got paid for that. <laughs> but uh, that's a you know it's 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 very visual and it is sort of showing while telling, and because it's such a complex world, it's Ooh, yeah. it's sci-fi, you're 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 establishing, you know, world conventions and, you know, things that aren't of this world and it's a future, you know, it's set in the future that like, you know, you kinda have to have some exposition. I it's definitely uh, I can forgive the film for for having those moments because it, it needs to be there in order for us to kind of progress in the story and take it to the places that it wants to go. So it's it's definitely warranted. And I think it does a great job of, uh, of blending the two and, and, and giving the audience just enough information to continue going with the story. And then, of course, giving Neo even more information than some of the other characters have and sort of building that intrigue of what, what the characters know, what does the audience know, and, and, and just playing with that all the way through to the end until it becomes Superman.
0: One of the best, best set up, the payoffs of exposition is when he's wearing the, they're in the woman in the red dress program. That and was Neo's later like, copied in that meme? <laughs> Which one? The distracted boyfriend? Oh, no, 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 no. I, what I was referring to is in that program, when he's in that program, Neo says, so what are you saying? You're saying that I could dodge bullets? And Morpheus says, what I'm saying is, uh, in time, you won't have to. Right? So going back to what Dylan said about kind of riddles and stuff, we have to discern what Morpheus is saying about that. That's a setup for later on because... In the in the final fight, you do see Neo dodge bullets, but it doesn't really work at the very end of the film. When spoilers, Neo's Neo gets shot, but then we see the Smiths when he's when he's uh, resurrected, th- them shooting. There's just one Smith at this, in or, this oh, movie. No, 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 no. They're all shooting at him at the end. Agents, when, agents. Oh, yeah. So, sorry, I'm I'm in interch- I'm interchanging Smiths and agents. My bad. Um, at the very end. When the agents are shooting at Neo, he just stops the bullets with his hand. You know, it's kind of paying off what Morpheus Morpheus said early on. And it's just kind of that clarity was brought in through exposition. So I think this movie earns its exposition dumps. You know, I think it earns Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Does, oh, yeah. does it really well?
2: Yeah. Um, the reason I I make a distinction between the smiths and the agents is that smith is very different from the other agents. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's kind of a loose cannon which I think makes a great villain, a villain that the other villains are like, mm, this guy's a little weird, you know. <laughs> uh he's he hates the matrix, right? He yes. hates it, he hates the, the smell <laughs> um and he's so determined to get out of the matrix that he's putting Morpheus through this torture and he tells the other agents leave the room I want a moment alone with him and then he totally breaks his like robotic composure and like gets in his face and like wipes the sweat off of Morpheus's head and shoves it in his nose like there's something really off about this guy and the way that Hugo Weaving plays his character is just so so good
4: yeah, he put on a yep. brilliant performance. And uh, I really love that scene. That's really when it comes home for me. And and I loved his like, uh, he, he, there's a lot of dialogue for him that kind of conveys the overall themes in the story about like, how the him as an agent, a program in the system, uh, actually believes that the human race is basically akin to a virus. It's the only other organism that sort of Follows this pattern of going to an area, multiplying, sapping all of its resources, and uh, moving on to the next area. That's not unlike what we do here, you know, on planet Earth or real life. <laughs> and that's uh, <laughs> and he and he wants to leave that that system of control. And uh, it's weird for a program to do that, but the you know his his journey as an antagonist really pays off in the in the subsequent films and the sequels that like. This is sort of what happens to a program when you delete it or you don't delete it correctly like you do on your own computer and then files <laughs> linger around and next thing you know you
2: have a virus. It's uh and he starts infecting the world. Yep. He starts to kill everything. Yeah, he, even the he, machines.
0: He wants to kill everyone. It's funny that <laughs> when he was talking about um the human beings being like virus, there was like a small moment of me where I was like
2: ah, he- I get you, Smith.
0: I you know it's funny because i was, yeah, know, right. I was right. like i'm like shit they're making a point he's making a point you know what i mean it reminds yeah. me of that scene um it, I, it, it was that it reminds me of that scene from the dark knight with the joker where he's it, where harvey dents on the hospital bed after being having half of his face burned and the joker's talking about kind of how people switch on and off you know I, I, there's like that little moment where like the antagonist the villain of the movie is dropping some knowledge dropping some truth points and you're just like Shit, I know you're wrong, but like <laughs> I mean, I know you're in the bad, but you're not wrong I that always makes a really interesting villain for me, you know where you could yeah. where you could see where they're coming from it's Too many too many movies have this Nonsensical plot where it's like I want to destroy the world. Why do you want to destroy the world? Because it's what I'm supposed to do the script says so but this movie When he says that he hates the world, you believe him. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) When he's like, I hate the Matrix, I hate people. Like, this dude is just hateful.
1: Can you hear me, Morpheus? I'm going to be honest with you. I hate this place. This zoo this prison this reality whatever you want to call it i can't stand it any longer it's the smell if there is such a thing i feel saturated by it i can taste your stink every time i do i fear that i have somehow been infected by it it's repulsive isn't it? I must get out of here. I must get free. And in this mind is the key. My key. Once Zion is destroyed, there is no need for me to be here. Do you understand? I need the codes. I have to get inside Zion. And you have to tell me how. You're going to tell me or you're
0: going to die. And he's played so well by Hugo Weaving that, fuck, man, it's, it is, no wonder Smith has become such an iconic villain. And for what, just having glasses, a little ear, ear uh, thingy and a suit, yet he stands out among. The way
2: he talks too. It's so like, it's so um, iconic, you know, Mm -hmm. Mr. Mr. Anderson. Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And from the F the interrogation where he's like one life leads to a prosperous future. The other does not. The, the, I I love the way he talks. Oh yeah. my God. Um, he, And I think that there is a sense of l- relatability with him as there is with Neo, because mm-hmm. it, maybe it goes more into the later films, but even in this film, I think there's a sense that there's, Two sides of the same coin. You know what I mean? As a point of uh, relatability for the audience.
0: Yeah, well, there is something... I mean, you could say that Neo was a part of the Matrix, but he found a way to get out. Hugo wants to get out. It's almost in a weird way, like he's envious of Neo.
3: Because Neo was
0: able to get out. Because
2: Neo wants to to disrupt the system. and, And that's how he gets free. Whereas... Agent Smith wants to enforce it, he wants to be its right hand, its whip, and that's how he is going to get free.
4: Yeah, we we get another perspective through uh, the character Cypher um, and his experience of being unplugged for, I think it's nine years, he said. Uh, living with Morpheus at the, you know, in his ship and, you know, eating, you know, pudding every day. And he, <laughs> he like wants to go back into the matrix. He, 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 fi- he, he wants has, to forget. He wants to forget. He, He's just so driven to leave the real world and enter the simulation again uh, that, that he, he betrays Morpheus and, and the whole team. And that sorts of, that sort of sets up the whole second act intrigue because there's, we actually are aware of that betrayal that's coming and, uh, we don't know how it's going to play out in that second act. And that's sort of what sort of those, everything in a wrench for, uh, you know, for Neo and Morpheus. So it's, it, it's interesting to kind of see it from those three angles about, you know, where the motivations lie and how the the mm. matrix as a system plays into, uh, what, what we as humans could want from the world. And there is the case you made where they're all sort of right in a way, uh, I was I was watching an interview with Keanu uh, for the new movie, and there he was talking. He was explaining the the plot of the Matrix to some children uh, who hadn't seen any of the films yet, and uh, the kids respond to him about like, "Oh, why did why did Neo and want to leave?"
0: The uh, they hadn't seen the film The Matrix, and so the director's like, "Well, why don't you just tell them what it's
1: about?" So I start to say, "Well, there's this guy who's in a kind of virtual world, and he finds out that there's a real world and." He's really questioning what's real and not real. And he really wants to know what's real. And the young girl was like, why? And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, who cares if it's real? Mm. And I was like, but you don't, you don't care if it's real. And she was like, no.
0: Isn't that wild?
4: Awesome, <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. I mean, they're you know they're like 13, 15 year old children, and like you know you can imagine like where we're headed with the metaverse and you know all this VR. Like we we are kind of headed for a world that's going to be a lot like the Matrix in a way. And uh, will we want to leave that world and and not be a part of the real world? That's a real question that this film sort of answers. And for the late 90s, it's a way ahead of its time. And for the for the film to hold up the way it does and still be relevant today is a is quite commendable.
0: Yes, absolutely, hundred percent way ahead of its time and it still fucking holds up it's in what's interesting we were talking about sympathetic villains look cypher's a piece of shit and he had what was coming to him yeah but i could kind of see where he's coming from like i could like i'm not saying he was justified he was wrong he was wrong for fucking morbius like that but i I mean i could i could see where he's coming from it makes sense you know he said ignorance is bliss and Mm -hmm the way they kind of characterize him and the reason he's doing it is like, yeah, the real world sucks. I know people, I know most most people would think, oh, I want to be Neo. I'm Neo. I'm the chosen one. I, I know Kung Fu and I would save the planet <laughs> and stuff like that. But the reality is, would you really though? Like, be honest with yourself. You know, we all want to think that we're the hero of the story. But would we really want to live in a world like that? Or would you rather be a cipher and just live in ignorance?
2: Well, I th- there's a difference between people who are living in ignorance and people who know the truth and want to forget and go back to that world. Yes. You know, cause that's what, that's what his thing is. He knows that in the real world, he's has to eat that, that pudding that you mentioned, Dylan. And they're like living in fear and the machines are growing by they're growing in numbers faster than the humans are pulling people out. And Zion, you know, it's it's cool, but like, it's not like you know the ritzy diner that he's eating at in in that scene. That juicy, yeah, steak. That steak looked good. He wants to forget, and he doesn't care who he hurts in order to get that um, that safety back. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I think that there are. There are a lot of ciphers out there, people who who see their their cause might be meaningless and they would give their their brothers in arms life to to go back and be comfortable again. Comfortable. Comfortability is is something that people will kill people for. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or be okay with their deaths. You know what I mean? This this truth is inconvenient to me. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to see it. And rather than putting an end to it, or fighting to put an end to it, it's like, I'm just going to turn the channel, and I'm going to watch this other thing that makes me feel good.
0: God damn, dude. And that again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, man. We, we could go down a whole rabbit hole on just that topic alone, without even bringing up about the whole uh, allusions to the Bible, to science fiction as a whole. God damn, man. This is fucking, it's incredible. It's incredible. I can't stop. I can't. listeners, I know I'm gonna say this. I'm saying this so much already, but this movie's great, and I'm not gonna stop singing its praises because it is a yeah. one in a million film. Like it's it's also pretty funny too, right? But there's yeah. shit in this
2: movie that is just so hilarious. Like when we watched it um, at the IMAX theater, there's that scene in the subway when Morphe, or um, Neo is about to fight the agent for the first time. Like he stands his ground. And he's like, "I'm gonna fight this guy." And there's a shot of, like, their hands over their guns, you know, like a Western. And if you didn't get the Western imagery enough, there's a fucking newspaper that blows around like a tumbleweed. Yeah. <laughs> there's a guy sitting in front of us who's like, ha, ha tumbleweed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very obvious, but it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, and it does yeah. set the tone. <laughs> like, I know
2: kung fu. I know conf- really
4: show me.
0: <laughs> the scene when he falls uh during the jumping program and everyone's like, yeah, but what if he makes it? He won't make it. It's nobody makes it their first time. And then he falls flat. <laughs> you can't help but find that a little bit funny, especially with Mouse being like, so what does it mean? It means nothing. <laughs> Just move on. <laughs> uh it's nah this this movie. But okay. What I was gonna say. This movie is basically a horror film, cause whole it's, that first half when Neo is learning about the Matrix and that first half, holy shit, is that a horror film? Because I'm a grown ass man watching this, but that scene where they grab a hold of him and they stick that um that tracker through his belly button made me fucking wince. Uh, you saw me, Austin. I wasn't faking oh, yeah. it. It it. Bothered me. It really made me feel really <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, which I guess is like the point. I think the way I felt uncomfortable about it was similar to like how I felt during that torture scene in Christina Royale. Mm. Um You you know the the torture scene, right? Yeah, scratching the yeah. balls. <laughs> yeah, scratching the balls. That um that scene was almost equivalent to it and i thought oh that's okay that's it though it's i just because it freaked me out as a kid you know that'll probably be it nah fucking neo waking up like the metal kind of covering his body then going down his throat was fucking terrifying when he wakes up from the pod he's got all these cables hooked onto him the machine that like picks him up by his throat to dislodged the cable on his neck or in the back of his head <laughs> the cables popping out uh, when they're like when they're trying to uh, recover his body all the needles that are connected into his body what the fuck oh oh i did not like it there's so much body <laughs> horror in this uh, you, you you're a trigger george <laughs> I didn't think it would bother me that much, but it did. Just seeing even what really bugged me are when, like, when he's in the pot and the cables, like, all detach at the same time. I, that, like, made my spine, like, just, like, yeah, like that, one of my that,
4: fa- like, one of my favorite lines was in, in that scene where or Neo asks Morpheus, you know, like, why do my eyes hurt? And he's like, you've never used them before. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> man
0: holy shit it's so good it's so good (laughs) no it's great um that the and the imagery from that first half of the film is very i don't want to say graphic because it's not violent it's not bloody like the the belly button scene isn't bloody but it's disturbing and austin and i spoke about kind of how um the imagery of having a human connected to cables and those cables coming out and having a machine kind of take this drill thing out of your head and having all these needles placed all over your body. There's just something about it that made me really uncomfortable, which is the point. I will give him that. So it worked. Mm-hmm. It made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> but yeah, that, I thought that first half was like a horror film, which kind of speaks to how many genres are in this movie. Because oh, yeah. you have mm. a science fiction film. You have an action film, uh, you have a kung fu film, a western, a body horror horror film. What the fuck? How do you blend that many genres into one film and make it work? And make it work. You have so many films that are just a straightforward action films, so the diehards of the world, which isn't a bad thing. Diehards fucking amazing. Love that movie, but it's a but it's an action film with little moments of comedy, but it's not really a comedy film. The biggest discussion people have about Die Hard, whether it's an action film or a Christmas film. <laughs> All right. But you could have, but you could have those conversations about this one. Well, it's a science film. Yeah. It's but not it was a Christmas a... movie though. It's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> well, it came out, <laughs> came Get out in December. Up. It's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> it came out in December. No. Um, But, you know, I mean, okay, it's a science fiction film. All right. Yeah. It's an action film. It's rooted in Kung Fu history though. Yeah, but it's got those Western influences. Can we talk about how it's a horror film? It's just, it's, it's all over the place, but it all works really well. It's all that, that comes from the,
2: the, the genius of the Wachowskis though. Like they, they like all this stuff. So they made a movie where they could do all of this stuff about all of these different ideas, you know, all these different philosophies and, um, Religious allegories and maybe an implicit trans allegory. Yes. At, at the time when this movie was made, it was before they had transitioned. They didn't. I don't even know if the words existed to explain what they were going through.
0: Right. Right. They
2: did
4: not. Um, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm not too sure about the about what that phase is called. All right. So there's a term for people who haven't who uh haven't embraced their transness it's called being an egg right it's Mm -hmm. like you're um so it's it's considered that the the wachowski sisters were eggs at this time actually there was a film critic who wrote that the film is one of the eggiest films of all time Mm. (laughs) which is which is really great we could talk about that a little bit later but there is a lot that trans story is there right and You know, Lily has gone on to say that she wasn't, she's not fully aware of how, how much of her trans identity she was aware of, you know what I mean? But she knew that there was a fire within her that helped fuel this movie, and, you know, I think part of her trans identity had to do with that, and also think part of her, uh, her love of cinema, you know, because they they're they're taking inspiration from so many different films. It's like George Lucas. The Matrix is basically mm-hmm. like Star Wars, a New Hope. You look at Star Wars, how many genres are in there? How many inspirations from different films all across different decades are in that film?
2: Pushing the way that the film is 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 even made in the first place with revolutionary special effects.
0: Yes. This movie has way more in common with Star Wars than I
2: realized. <laughs> and also inadvertently, um, I don't know getting a lot of uh, alt right boys together. <sighs> well,
0: yeah.
2: we can talk about that later.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm curious about
0: that. I we'll get into it. There's just there's just a few things I want to keep talking about the the the, the filmmaking the the movie in general. Um Okay. Uh one of the things that I loved is the cinematography and the editing. The actual technical aspects of this film I think are incredible. Um so much so that even if you're not a big film person if you don't watch too many films there's you could still recognize and see just how good the movie is on a technical from a technical side um you know I, we all three of us went to go watch mortal Kombat a while ago when it came out in theaters i had some beef mm-hmm. with it um but yeah yeah. i'm not trying to i'm not Speaking ill of anyone, you know, you like what you like. It is what it is. But I spoke with my dad about it. He watched it and he was a big fan of it. And he said something that I never thought I heard I would hear my dad say. But he's like, the editing wasn't that great. And my dad loves movies, but I've never heard him say, (laughs) refer to editing that way, you know? I was like, what do you mean by edit? Like, why are you using editing as a word? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I I just wasn't expecting him to. And he's like, well, just it felt a little choppy. That that was the word that he used. Choppy. It just felt very cut up. Like that's a, It's really interesting that he would pick up on that when we watched the film. He mentioned it to you guys uh, and to me on our way home. He was like, it was edited very well. He could by that he means he could see what was happening. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't getting motion sick. He understood what was happening. He was able to see the fight scenes in very clear in a very clear way, where he was able to appreciate the punches and kicks and stuff like that
2: because they they use a lot of long takes for the the action scenes similar to the uh, action scenes in hong kong the fight choreographer i think wu ping the Mm -hmm. the fight choreographer from uh, i think it's like fist of fist of legend i think Mm -hmm. they actually Mm -hmm. like contacted him while he was on the set of another movie and he's like i don't want to i don't want to i'm busy and then they send him the script and he was like the script is badass i'm going to i'm going to head over there
0: <laughs> that's a smart it's man a good choice yeah
2: uh, yeah like i mean
4: there there are like modern like filmmaking conventions just sort of are are lacking in the sense of choreography um and not taking the inspiration from you know good hong kong uh filmmakers and, and such where like, if you look at like uh there's there's a there's a famous sequence in taken 3 or Liam Neeson's, like, oh, r- yeah, running over fence. a fence. And there's, like, a <laughs> sequence of, like, over, like, 50 shots just to r- jump over a fence. And it's just so choppy. And that, I, I, I pull back to the Marvel films on this one, too. They really need to work on it. They did good with, with Shang-Chi. But, like, most of the time, it's a lot of choppy editing, basically to mask, like, subpar choreography or just pacing to keep engagement up. You know, like, we're used to Instagram stories being, you know, less than 10 seconds or whatever. This is, like... A, a new way of convention making it faster pace for audiences to stay engaged uh but what we don't realize and what, what matrix remind us of, reminds us of is that you know if you have good choreography and the characters are with it then you can you can stay on that sequence for one whole part of a whole like you know punching kicking you know sequence and stay with that and you'll be just as engaged and that's what the matrix does really well with all of its fight scenes it only cuts after neo's done with like a, a combo and then it goes to smith and does another <laughs> combo and we get to see it all and we get to enjoy it because it's it's well done and it's choreographed well and uh the sound effects are you know punchy and it's like everything is great that's uh that's why this film works
0: it's great that you add the sound effects part because there's like that kick the sound of the kick Where it's breaking the air. It's going through the air. And you could hear that just... They use it so much, but it really sells how fast and strong that kick is. It's little things like that. But when you add it all up, you have incredible action scenes. There are no action scenes in this movie that suck. None. You know? Absolutely none. Mm -hmm. None (laughs) in the entire series. In the entire series. They only get better. Exactly. So it's just like... There's, you know, we'll watch it in other movies. Yeah, this fight scene was great, but that one sucked. This movie's like, no, nah, every <laughs> top, top notch. And everyone has like a great, they all have great choreographies. And you could see all of them. So, hey, kudos to them. And that also is to the cinematography from Bill Pope. The cinematography is really incredible. You know, it's got that, it's got those yellows, greenish kind of hues all throughout the film. Whenever they're in the Matrix, you subconsciously just take it as it is and when they're in the real world it's all blues and stuff. Just a little subtle way of, you know, distinguishing the two mm. worlds, but I appreciate that. It looks it looks good. It looks fitting. And they'll have like takes that just go on a little longer than we're used to seeing in some fight fight scenes, you know, with Yeah. Fight scenes nowadays you'll cut like every 2-3 seconds. This one will have a shot that'll go for 6 seconds. And the I, next I one think... will go on for 6 seconds as well. And that makes a difference.
2: Yes. I, I think the Wachowskis are very hands-on in that department. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they, they had a, a vision for what they wanted the movie to be. Whereas in a, like, other studio film, maybe that there's there's multiple visions of what the movie should be. Mm-hmm. And maybe when you're shooting stuff, it doesn't really work the way you wanted it to. And then you have to fix it in the editing room. So I think sometimes when you notice a film has, like, really choppy editing... I don't think it's necessarily the editor's fault. No, it's them trying to save, you know, a movie after there's nothing that can be done. Yeah, you, you can tell
4: in the Matrix. They're they're with every action sequence. Whenever they uh, decide to leverage like slow mo or you know back to you know full speed, uh, it, like for example in the in the gun sequence of the ground floor of the agent building, there's you know Neo's like running down the hallway. Uh, all in slow-mo and then a lot of the rest of that sequence is, is in fact like but if they kept it all in like normal speed that sequence would be like barely a minute long you know and so they've they're using the right techniques in the right places and and doing enough variety within any one sequence to kind of keep it engaged and and it just to make it complete and cohesive so yeah yeah props to the Wachowskis to really I think really having that singular vision for each sequence to make it Make it engaging and make it like well done for each one has its own sort of identity Which is why we kind of we like every fight sequence because each one is different in their own way They all have their own character ones more heavily with you know hand-to-hand combat ones more with guns Some's with slow-mo Some has the bullet time. It's just a it's got it all in this whole movie and it's just it's it's incredibly well done
0: And I love how you brought up slow motion because that that was something I want to bring up as well You know slow motion is kind of a Slow motion looks beautiful in some other films, but is there really a purpose behind it? Sometimes there is. Most of the time, I'd say there isn't. Sometimes it's just used because it looks very pretty and cool. But I think in The Matrix, slow motion is almost critical because, you know, when Neo, towards the first half of the film, there's no slow motion. He's not Mm -hmm. doing any of that, you know, but as he starts embracing the rules of the world, he starts being able to bend time a little bit more and by the end there's a lot more slow motion you could almost infer that as he is embracing his role his choices he's able to use time as a weapon in the matrix right you can make you could you could say like oh yeah that that shootout in the smith in the agents building it's done in slow-mo because it looks pretty yeah it looks it looks really beautiful but that's neo and trinity using what they know about the matrix To their advantage, to be able to wipe an entire floor of guys and SWAT teams in order to save Morpheus. And it works in the story, you know, time there. He's able to manipulate time. So I think the use of slow motion, especially towards the end of the film, is is very much rooted to the story, not just an aesthetic thing.
4: I go back to the uh, the dojo scene uh, where he's fighting Morpheus and he does like a backflip. And I know that that moment is in slow mo. Uh, and you know, it's showing it, you know, that he's sort of grasping it. And what I love is that at the end of that fight scene, when he's, you know, really pushed by Morpheus to, to, to hit him and, uh, then it's, then he starts to punch a lot faster. But in those, in that moment, it's not slow-mo. We're actually seeing his hands move so fast. It's sort of blurry. And we're kind of seeing it in a way like, oh, from Morpheus perspective, like, oh, he's actually getting, he's moving way faster than normal speed. And that was a good transition of that. that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: Yes! Yeah. I, I I love that you picked up on that because yeah. I was getting the exact same feeling too. Like when Morpheus is like really high off the ground, he's jumping, and he's about to stomp Neo, he's in slow motion, mm-hmm. right? But in a weird way, it's almost like Morpheus is embracing his power, his abilities in the Matrix to be able to do what he's doing. But at the end, when when Keanu's using speed time, it's from Morpheus's perspective. He's he's seeing what, what Keanu is actually doing in real time. I love that. I love that slow motion is incorporated into the story, into mm-hmm. Neo yes. embracing those powers. And it's so cool. I just... Guys, I love this movie. <laughs> it's, great. God, it's great. It's great. It's the greatest. Uh, I, yeah, no, it's... Oh, it's so good. I mean, I... those are, that's those are the notes I have on the filmmaking and the, the actual film. Let's go into the allegorical stuff. Yes.
2: Oh, there, um, oh, there's one thing that I wanted to mention about bullet time because I didn't go down this rabbit hole for nothing. <laughs> I, I did do some research because we said earlier, incorrectly, that The Matrix was the first film to do this bullet time effect. There's a website called Tropedia. It's kind of like Wikipedia, but for tropes and stories and video games and movies and TV and stuff. And there's a article about bullet time. And there were one, two, three, four instances of bullet time that they noted before The Matrix. The very first one is in this terrible movie called Kill and Kill Again, which was done in 1981. It is actually free to watch on IMDb TV. But I don't think anyone should watch this movie in its entirety unless they're prepared to watch a really bad movie. (laughs) Um, So if you just want to like skip to the meat, uh, it's at one hour and 36 minutes in where a guy is about to shoot a professor and it's in slow motion, right? And he gets his like revolver gun out and he shoots the gun and you see the bullet come out. And then it, what they do is they like blur everything, but the bullet. And it's like the bullet is on a wire And you can kind of see the wire a little bit and they're slowly rotating the bullet to simulate the bullet spiraling, you know, in the air. Um, and then the hero in one motion, like jumps in front of the bullet, blocks it with a shovel and then hits the bad guy with it. And then his friends help him up. One of them for some reason uses his foot instead of his hand. And I thought, Oh, is it because the guy has no hands? No. It's just because this movie's fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's 1981, kill and kill again. Now fast forward, fast forward to the 1990s, a movie called Buffalo 66. It's a Vincent Vincent Gallo movie. Vincent Gallo, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's he's kind of an asshole, right? He's (laughs) kind of a terrible person, Um, but. He's made some indie movies that people like, I guess. Um, one of them being Buffalo 66, the other being the infamous Brown Bunny. Um, mm. So in the, in the Buffalo 66, it's about this guy who wants to, to I guess win his parents' uh, affection back by killing a, a football player. And in the end, he has his fantasy about shooting the guy and then killing himself. And in that fantasy, when he shoots the guy, you, you see... Like the bullet go through his head and it's kind of like a still shot. And then the camera moves around, uh like thirty to forty-five degrees around. So you can see the bullets um like coming out the back of his head. It's all still, right? It's it's not they're not moving in the when the camera's moving around in the when time is slowed down, right? And you can tell that the actors are just Doing their best to stay still while the camera is moving, <laughs> and it's it's whatever. It's not like revolutionary, but it did it before the Matrix did. Then in nineteen ninety eight, I don't know which one came first, but Blade and Lost in Space both have a bullet time sequence. One where Blade shoots Deacon Frost, uh, and then Deacon Frost, the, the villain, he dodges the bullets and the bullets have that, like, bullet trail effect, and then he throws a girl into traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and instead of catching her, instead of catching her, Blade, like, avoids her, and then continues shooting at Deacon Frost, and then he goes and saves the girl at the last second. It's, just, it's a ridiculous movie. I, I kind of love it. Uh, and in, in Lost in Space, uh, there's a sequence that looks awful. Awful. Mm-hmm. The ship is crashing and you see the characters like where they are as the ship is crashing and the camera does move a little bit around the characters and every time the camera moves the characters move a little bit in a way that's unintentional it's just the limitations of the film filmmaking the special effects at that time which that movie has a bunch of other special effects errors uh like it was just it was a mess and then in 99 you have Trinity kicking the cop through the wall, which looks so good.
0: The the best example of bullet time. The
2: best example. Because the way that it was conceived, like they had the technology, they had the ideas, they had the engineering, they had the math down. You know, it wasn't some like, okay, let's just try to do this idea. And if it doesn't look good, it doesn't look good, whatever. They, They had to really fine tune this method. that's why it looks so good yeah and then you guys brought
4: the point before so well that you know uh, unlike these other examples you're mentioning which are all you know fascinating but you know i don't think in blade nor in lost in space did they require a bullet time sequence for in service of the story with 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 the matrix you know as great as the method is in its execution um it also serves the story which makes it all the more better for the overall product of the film exactly
0: yes 100%. 100%. It's way better woven into the, into the narrative of the story. I. What I will say, though, is to be fair, I, the Wachowskis and their engineering team had a great solid plan. I think what can't be forgotten is studio backing. When you have a studio, a giant studio like that back in your film, it could make a world of difference. Um, Blade and Lost in Space, I can't speak to them. Oh, no, um, They had major
2: studios. New Line Cinema, I think.
0: Okay, well, I wow. take it back with them. But with uh, Buffalo '66 and Kill and Kill Again, tiny movies. Yeah, tiny I, tiny movies. I will. I'll say this: maybe their effects were not well done. Maybe those movies are bad. But I'll give them points for trying and for trying on a low budget. I always love to love to credit people like that because they're ambitious filmmakers and trying to do with the most you, trying to do the most you can with what little you have is always it's great for everyone you know even if you have a shitty film (laughs) yeah but um the wachowskis the engineering team the stunt team and the studio backing is what i think ultimately led to the success and perfection of bullet time in the matrix and its sequels
2: uh let's talk about the allegorical stuff is there anything else you want to mention about the the trans allegory
0: (laughs) yes well okay so You and I have done this before where we've looked, we've, this isn't the first Pachowski siblings films that we've talked about. We, the first one was, um, Speed Racer. And, you know, as it so happens, you know, when you look at a piece of art from a different era or from a, you know, a few years ago in Speed Racer's case, you want to go back and recontextualize some things, maybe see it from a modern perspective, you know, and a lot's changed since 99, you know it's been over 20 years 22 years and the world's changed and the directors have changed lana and Lily wachowski's have transitioned to become trans women and i think a lot and i think that has invited people to kind of look back and recontextualize their their previous films and to see is there like a how how trans are the films do they have do uh Do they have a trans message behind it, and you kind of convince me that Speed Racer does have one? do you know what I mean that it's mm-hmm. there uh trying to find your identity who are you in this world, and what are you meant to do right and speed racer is, is is has that in spades and it has a trans story I think that you could that you could find in it. however, I think the Matrix is almost a, like completely a trans story like it's not I'm not discrediting it you know, in terms of religious or w- w- science fiction, realness or whatever identity. I'm not saying that, but I think this movie does have very, very clear trans elements to it. Right. And I n- had never seen it like that before, but really going through it and kind of going down this rabbit hole, <laughs> I am convinced that it it is a trans story in a way, you know? <laughs> so why, what makes you say that? So I did I did some research and again my research is not uh, it, it is not the deepest of research. Uh, this is stuff that you could you could find very easily on Google. I read through multiple sources and stuff, but there are books talking about the making of the Matrix and stuff and especially since Lana transitioned in 2012 and Lily in 2016. One of the easiest pieces of research that you could do is just watching a YouTube video from Lily was,
2: Wachowski, right?
0: Yeah why the matrix is a trans story according to Lily Wachowski and she breaks it down she kind of breaks down like the elements some of the elements in the film like ac- apparently Switch was supposed to be a man in the original uh, uh, uh in the original script in in the real world but in the when... real world Switch su- was supposed to be a man in the matrix Switch, Switch was supposed presents to be a woman. female yes uh that was that decision was squashed um I think I think the the studio was a bit more concerned about just uh confusing audiences you know uh I I don't I don't think the studio had in mind that this was a trans story I don't even think it was in their head um and even Lily herself says like I don't think most people did not see it that way in 99 I think that there was maybe I think that both of them had uh felt like
2: they had some issues with their identity i think in that same interview she says that they bury themselves in these science fiction worlds where you could have different expressions of yourself so i i think even if it wasn't i'm i'm a trans woman and i want everyone to know so i'm going to make this movie called the matrix i don't think that was necessarily the case but those feelings i think Work their way into the story that you were trying to tell, whether you were aware of them
0: or not. Well, what Lily said in that interview was she wasn't even aware of how of how much she had injected into the film. Do you know what I mean? Like there was a sense of conflict that she had in her identity for I don't know how long. But that conflict was in the back of her head and cause again she she referred to her I don't know if she referred to herself, but it's called being an egg, right? Mm -hmm. some online trans communities have have a word for trans people who have not realized they're trans yet egg the wachowskis were eggs right so whether she was aware or not there was a a, there was something inside of her a fire that just kind of motivated her to make this film and the story has a lot of innuendos about identity and about becoming who you really want to be one of the one of the clearest examples of this is you know neo using an online identity versus his identity in the matrix you know so he'll have he's thomas anderson right is it thomas anderson i don't even know thomas anderson yeah thomas anderson is his name in the real world the matrix in the matrix yeah uh but he goes by the he goes by the name neo online on the internet uh there's a sense of dysmorphia that neo feels in the matrix There's no satisfaction. Something's off. He feels like he's meant to do more. He just can't figure it out. What's the truth? It's a sense of dysmorphia, which the filmmakers have gone on to say that that's what he's going through.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Once he awakens, he's scared. You know, I mean, remember that scene in the Matrix in the film when he when Morpheus explains to him what happened in the real world and he kind of has a meltdown. But by the end, he becomes a stronger, better person. He becomes, he finds out who he's supposed to be. And he doesn't go by Thomas Anderson, he goes by Neo. That's him coming together, that's him finding his identity or him establishing his own identity. The antagonist of the film, motherfucking Smith, what does he call Neo? Oh, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr.
1: Anderson. Mr. Anderson, welcome back. You must be able to see it, Mr. Anderson. You must know it by now, Mr. Anderson. My name is
0: Neil. We spoke about this in the first mm-hmm. part, Austin. We were talking about how people were reporting on Elliot Page's transition and referring to her. Or, sorry, his his by his dead name. So there's so so, and you have this. You have this motherfucking Smith coming in knowing who neo is but saying no mr anderson and he calls him that until the third one matrix revolution
2: in the trailer for the for the fourth one too (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. and and that's not and that's not just something that i've picked up on there is an entire twitter thread uh, by the account netflix film an entire twitter thread where they have evidence of just how the matrix is a trans story um, for years, fans of The Matrix have discussed the film through a trans lens. If you've heard this theory before or just learned about it, here's a thread breaking down the trans allegory of the film from trans writers and critics. Here's a quote by uh, Andrea Longchun, um, where he, she refers to you Neo know, having dysmorphia. Trans women have claimed The Matrix as an allegory for gender transition since at least 2012 when Nana Wachowski publicly, publicly came out as a trans woman while doing press for the film Cloud Atlas. Her sister, Lily, followed suit in 2016. The symbolism is easy, easy to find. Thomas Anderson's double life. He's a hacker by night. His chosen name, Neo. His vague but maddening sense that something is off about the world. A splinter in your mind. Morpheus calls it. Neo has this Morphia. The Matrix is, a, is the gender binary. The agents are transphobia. Those are some of the more, those are some of the more uh, blatant things. The splinter in Neo's mind. That, for many trans folk, is a lot like the experience of being socialized as a gender that doesn't align with their true gender identity. Mm. It, it goes back to what, what Lily Wachowski was saying. She was saying that she, thought, she wasn't aware of how of, of her transness when she was making the film, but she felt a fire in her. I.e., you could say that she had a splinter in herself. There was some conflict inside of her that she wasn't fully aware of or that she wasn't embracing, or you know, but it was there. And again, she would transition in in 2016. And I mean, she she hasn't she hasn't gone on to say that she has a splinter in her mind now. I I, I'm sure things have been going better for her. I'm hoping there's a I I've I watched some of the behind the scenes
2: stuff from before their their transition and how she she seems now there's like you could tell it's the same person, but I it feels like she's more comfortable with herself now. Man. Which
4: is exactly I, how I, I, Neo I, I, feels uh, by the end of the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the Twitter thread goes on. It mentions uh, how Agent Smith only refers to Neo as his dead name, Mr. Anderson, with a persistent emphasis on the Mr. You know, yeah. something that was really interesting that I wasn't even aware of is that in the Twitter thread, they bring up the connection of the red pill, blue pill. As a quick reminder... Morpheus puts out for Neo these two pills, the red pill which will awaken him, showing him the real, real world, and the blue pill which will just keep him in the matrix. Not only is the pill literally Neo's gateway to seeing the world as it is and the systems built to define and control his identity, but it's also an apt metaphor for hormone therapy. Okay, sure. The rabbit hole goes deeper. As Chu writes, for years, trans women have pointed out that in the 90s, prescription estrogen was quite literally a red pill.
2: What? No. Yeah.
0: Wow. And then there's the red pill itself, less a a metaphor for hormone therapy than a literal hormone. Many have pointed out out online that back in the 90s, prescription estrogen was in fact red. The 0.62 milligram Premarin tablet derived in the matrix like fashion from the urine of pregnant mares came in smooth chocolatey maroon twitter users now gleefully brandish this fact as a well actually style um (laughs) to to alt-right people using the red pill as like a movement for men's rights and stuff oh my god or as a red pill to escape feminist brainwashing isn't that funny (sighs) yeah you have so 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 for people who don't know the Red Pill movement is a movement of men trying to escape feminist brainwashing, which is saying that there are alpha males and beta males, and this is what it is. Sigma to be males
2: a, can't forget them.
0: Sigma males, you know, <laughs> zeta male, it's whatever. So stupid! Oh my god! Yeah, it's it, and it, it's,
2: it doesn't just end there though. Like the Red Pill movement is is very it's it's undefined, but it, you kind of lump all of these alt right um, anti anti-LGBT misogynist groups together. Now, I think also a lot of anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers have joined that group too. Because if you type red-pilled in Instagram search, you you don't get anything about the Matrix. Not explicitly. Uh, You get fully vaccinated by the blood of Jesus. Earth is flat.
0: Be openly sexual with women. So the the red pill instead of it being about waking up and finding out the truth and having literal connections to estrogen pills has been co-opted by alt-right people and and toxic as men who thinks that the world should be better when men are in charge, when men know what's right for women. Isn't that fucking stupid?
4: I mean yeah. some of the some I of the can't... best films, you know, you know, hide their allegory through subtext in the movie. Like the red pill is literally just a a thing that that allows the machines to not be able to to detect him so you know, Morpheus and his crew can extract him from the system, you know? And like this is now becoming a whole other thing that I, I'm not going to lie, it sounds like a whole lot of projecting from all sides, you know, whether it's valid or not, but like it's it's now grown into a whole new Identity for itself that's well beyond the the conventions of the story and the movie that it came from
0: Well, that's the interesting thing about you know, like stories and, and symbols, you know Because sometimes you have a symbol or a prop or an item that takes on a whole different meaning i.e. Red pill and It's I just think it's really interesting that you have two sides That are on opposite ends taking the the same prop the same item the same symbol and kind of uh finding different meaning in it. I just think it's really Ultimately, interesting. Ultimately like these these uh like men's rights
2: activists, they're they are agents of the system. They are trying to maintain the status quo. They're trying to prevent change. They're trying to prevent social justice.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. I don't understand. I don't know like it doesn't seem like these men are going for lgbtq rights or equal rights or you know like the the oh they are they are well they're going against it
2: yes they're they're people who women in these spaces who talk about uh why this red pill movement is dangerous are attacked by by these guys shouldn't
4: they be promoting the blue pill then
2: the, like, that's the thing. Like if like you're these red the, pill the story then, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's these, hilarious. This, this article that I read. They don't they don't talk about the blue pill. They don't get it. They don't talk about the blue pill at all. They don't understand.
0: Uh, this is from the Twitter thread. While the Wachowski sisters weren't publicly out as trans while making the film, in the doc disclosure, Lily speaks about the burbling undercurrent of rage that I felt not being able to be who I was while making while making the Matrix. And this brings us to the concept of an egg. The trans community, an egg is word for a trans person who hasn't realized they're trans yet. Um, The plot of The Matrix mirrors the online gender experimentation of the early digital age, when some unsuspecting egg might log into a chat room as a woman and discover how much better it feels to embody that version of themselves. Inhabit the experimental space long enough, and you might eventually find yourself breaking through the shell containing the sealed world you thought you lived in to some other reality entirely that reality might reduce everything else in your life to rubble but getting to experience it is worth the fallout that literally just that's that's neo's story one for one think about i think about when neo awakens from that pod that
2: pod is his egg Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's that experience you know um and you know, it's some people have said, well, you're revising the stories or you're retconning it. Don't Lily, well, you're retconning it. That, that's not what the Matrix is about, you know, but it's like, but, but we do this all the time, don't we? We go back to authors' works, not just filmmakers, but writers, novelists, fucking everyone else, you know, and we look like, back at their work with new light yeah. when we find new information. She's doing better
4: than like, the JK
0: has so far. yeah because like
2: there's nothing in the harry potter stories that would suggest that dumbledore is gay and i don't think anything i don't think it's intrinsically linked like like it is with the matrix being a trans allegory
0: no 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 like again dumbledore being gay i yeah i think actually the, the
2: the plight of and the
4: journey of uh someone who's trans discovering their true identity is better expressed in this way through neo's journey Having not going like over the top beating your head over it like about his life, maybe not changing transitioning to a woman, but like just the way that it feels to not be yourself and figuring out who you are through this story, it, it can come across and help yeah. help others who aren't of this community to identify with what that feels like, you know, and how how they can find their success and find their identity. It's done much better in this way by hiding it in the subtext, whether it was done. Consciously or not, at the time for the Wachowskis, I think it's executed here, and it's perfectly reasonable to look at it and recontextualize it today, uh, and however it suits people, I mean, if it's, as long as it's there,
0: absolutely, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think so. I think there's such a the theme of identity is a universal theme, every culture of every country of every continent has had this discussion about identity and I, just a million different ways you could look about it and this is a film about identity at its core um so to to see these trans themes applied to it yes it works because it's 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 what it's all about to some people it's about to some people to some young men it might just feel like i don't feel like i'm who i am because maybe i'm not living up to my potential or maybe i'm not Maybe I'm not educated enough, but to some people, it's about their literal identity, their literal sexual gender identity, and that and hey man, if the shoe like if the shoe fits why why can't why is it gonna apply to this person but not this other person? Do you know what I mean that's what's so cool about this story is yeah, you could look at it from a trans story, I believe it is after seeing after reading this stuff, but you could also just look at it as from uh from a general identity way, you know? Like you could watch this movie, you might not be trans, you could still watch this movie, but maybe you could relate to Neo and how he feels, just despondent at work and Absolutely.
4: The whole point of identity and like I don't even want to like separate the two, trans or not. Like the journey of discovering your identity is this movie.
0: Absolutely. I I couldn't have said it better myself. Um there is one final thing about this Twitter thread. <laughs> and it's so I don't I don't know how uh intentional it was but it's pretty fucking cool so something that this twitter thread points out um is that in the final scene of the matrix right you have that black a computer screen and there's some words on it right
2: oh it zooms in on the mf
0: yes you saw that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so okay the camera zooms towards the words system failure so obviously, System Failure has a space in the middle. In code, Neo says, "You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change." As the camera pushes through the letters God. Oh quite gosh. literally creating the space in between and beyond the gender binary, <laughs> male and female. I look, I don't know how intentional it was. I I don't know. I don't know how intentional it was. I e- even even they are not aware of 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 their trans identity yet.
2: But, but I think isn't on it, some I- implicit level, they are aware of it. They know that they don't. That there's something wrong. Their identity, like how they're presented, they don't feel like themselves.
0: It was. It, it might it might have been conscious or unconscious, but that is a cool fucking little detail. That was amazing. That, I did not pick I, up on I, that at <laughs> all. Wait, so uh, I did You not know, pick-
4: can we confirm? Like, wh- who who do we think he's talking to? Is it the system, the agents, oh. or is it a potential? mind that they want to unplug like who is he speaking to in that sequence
0: i never thought about that
4: he says like where we go from there is a choice i leave to you like sounds like a morpheus type thing talking to another guy or it could be someone in the system i don't know
2: he's he says i'm gonna show you a world without you right i'm gonna show you world with what does he say what are the last lines exactly
0: it's a choice I leave to you. Oh, he
4: does say I'm gonna show them a world without you. Yeah, he must be talking to the Agents then.
0: There's a lot more to that final shot, to that final title sequence yeah. than and than th- initially than I initially thought.
2: And the the choice of, of song at the end. You know, Rage Against the Machine, Wake Up. Ooh. And the, the song being about um Cointel Pro. Are you, do you know what Cointelpro is?
0: What the fuck no. is that?
2: Cointelpro is a counterintelligence program from the FBI. It it was something that was very illegal, and people didn't know it existed until 1971, when some revolutionaries, I guess you could call them, broke into the F an FBI building and exposed the the dossier, and gave it to the media, and then they they published it and. It came out that the FBI was spying on revolutionaries, spying on people like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, the Black Panthers, even assassinated some Black Panthers.
0: Didn't um, Warner Brothers make a movie about that earlier this year? Yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Was that about uh, Fred Hampton?
0: Yes. I, think I believe so. so, yeah.
2: Crazy stuff, dude. Crazy stuff. They they had um one of... One of the Black Panthers like literally like drug Fred Hampton, one of the leaders of the Black Panther. And then the FBI and cops showed up and shot him like 90 times. Spoiler alert, that's how the movie ends. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) And and it was just like, oh, justified homicide, justified shooting. Until these people like broke into the building and exposed this program. And then the I guess the FBI director disassembled this program, but I, I, if they wouldn't tell us it existed in the first place, why should we believe them that it doesn't exist anymore? <laughs> right. I mean, I they they did it through it? informants.
4: Like in that film, Lakeith Stanfield, he plays a character that is basically an informant for that program.
2: And that's how they get him. Yeah. Um, yeah. People like Cypher.
3: Ooh, so,
0: Cypher. Yeah.
2: I think that there's also, like, you can see these... Um, the agents of the, of the system as transphobia, but I think you can also see them as people who want to continue exploiting people, you know, people with power, they're not necessarily machines. They could be people with power, you know, and it, it, with the sequels, that idea is especially reinforced. Like I think one of the, one of the council leaders in the matrix reloaded and revolutions is cornell west it is yes (laughs) okay i I don't think that was an an accident i think the wachowskis are definitely
0: um left-leaning filmmakers they i was like okay i know he's not an actor i I, know i I, I, I was like it is i was like it is cornell okay (laughs) that was so i was like he i recognize him from somewhere because i I didn't watch Reloaded. Um, I I watched little or Reloaded or Revolutions. I watched parts of it um, just to just as a quick refresher. Uh, I'm gonna watch him before the new one comes out. But I was like, he looks familiar. I was like, that was Man. not a mistake. That was intentional. No,
2: very intentional. Like that's what I love about this movie. Everything is so well thought out and it's working on so many different levels so you have the trans allegory the political allegory the revolutionary special effects environmental allegory Uh, too environmental allegory
0: oh yeah you you, nuclear you 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 have weapons the 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 story of weapons because humans pull the plug ourselves you know you black it was
2: humans that blackened the sky
0: Exactly. And that's not even bringing up the Bible allegories to Neo being Jesus, you know, the the philosophical allegories that
2: I think is Plato and the cave where you have a bunch of people in the cave and they they think that this is their reality and the things that in front of them are actual trees and stuff. But it's actually light projected behind these statues and one person he's able to break free and see that and he tries to get all the other people out of the cave. There, also, the, the book that Neo has all those in the beginning when he's giving the guy those, like, discs, uh, it's a philosophical book from 1981, Sim- Simulcra and Simulation, a book by French
3: philosopher, I think? Uh,
2: Jean... Jean Baudrillard.
0: Roger Yard? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Oh, I've heard his name pronounced on Wisecrack. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard the people at Wisecrack say his name a lot.
2: Yeah, he's, he's a guy who said that our reality will be substituted by simulations of reality. And that will become more real to us than actual reality.
0: Metaverse, bro.
2: Yep. Our consumer, like what we, I think he was talking about like consumerism. Consumer culture will become more real than reality.
0: Shit, I do love my four K Blu-rays.
2: Yeah, but it also, like you said, in some ways, in these simulated realities, we we can express ourselves more freely, and thus becoming more knowledgeable about ourselves. A lot of trans people go to these online communities, like these, like VR chat and like VTubing, expressing themselves in a way not possible in the real world.
0: I think there's there's two angles to it because there is one where having online communities and stuff can open people up to new experiences. There is also the aspect though that if you if this is all we have, then you you you're you're distant from reality. There's pros and cons to it. You, you know what I mean? Like
4: mm-hmm. Morpheus has that line in the in the in the film where he asks Neo like What what is real? How how do you define it? You know, it, what do you can smell, taste, or touch, see, etc. You know, and just electrical signals interpreted by your brain. I mean, if we get to that point in the real world, like our real life about our technology and what VR can do for us, then maybe our new reality will be whatever we make of it in this in this new space. And and our real reality won't matter so much.
0: And and that brings up some some interesting points, you know, Uh, especially as every it feels like every decade we're making a new technological advancement, you know.
4: I, I mean, yeah, they're doing they're doing marketing for uh, this uh, concept for the new Unreal Engine Five. I think is what the name is. Matrix Awakens. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's a concept piece where they're basically real time rendering entire cities, and they even did Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss themselves, and it looks really good. You can really like confuse yourself about Look, is this the fake Keanu or the real Keanu, and it's. Mm-hmm. It, I, I highly recommend people YouTube it. It's a very impressive display uh, of of where the technology is headed, and it's getting really good. The point where you know we might we might prefer this 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 digital world that we can make our own than the environment that we're in now,
0: and think about it too though people have been taking people have been taking advantage of these online spaces I mean people will go on and start embracing who they feel like they are, other people will do so to manipulate others i mean oh yeah, i mean let's what's what's been happening with covid and vaccines mm-hmm. you know you go on Instagram and you might be able to follow someone. Who says, I know the truth about this, but, but we don't know who they are. You know, maybe, maybe they're speaking some truths. Maybe they're just lying. Yes. You know, there are people who are taking advantage of people all the time through the Internet. And that's, the danger, that's part of the dangers of these online communities. It's You don't know who you can and can't trust, what's real or what's fake. I mean, how many deep fakes have we seen in recent years? So many. It feels like so every many. day I'm seeing a new deep fake of Tom Cruise <laughs> and it's looking better and better every day. It might get to the point where they're doing it with Tom Cruise, but we might get to the point where we can make a deep fake of anyone. Mm-hmm. Why is that so hard to believe? And at that point, is that really safe? Is that even ethical?
2: Absolutely not. Not ethical. Yeah. Uh, but you, you mentioned something that would make a great segue to like one of the final things I want to bring up. There's so many other things we could talk about. We could talk here all day. But there's one thing I mentioned before about the Matrix being stolen. That it was not an original idea from the Wachowskis. It was from uh, somebody else. Dun, dun, dun. I followed up on the story. And it is... wild. So, uh, there's this woman, Sophia Stewart, who was an author and a lawyer, an attorney. And she sent in this uh, script called The Third Eye for a science fiction competition hosted by the Wachowskis in 1981, I think? 1981? 1984? Doesn't really matter, and you'll see why. Uh, The story goes that she sued the Wachowskis, Warner Brothers, and uh, the copyright holders for Terminator. Because she alleged that they they had stolen her ideas for their movies, and was seeking over one billion dollars in damages. And this story got got wind of on a Salt Lake City Community College on a magazine called the Globe, and they titled the article as "Mother of the Matrix Victorious," making it seem like she won four billion dollars from those copyright holders because they stole her idea. However, under further investigation, we, or people found out she was full of shit (laughs) (laughs) that that newspaper article that she said that she submitted her script to like the Wachowskis were like 18 and 21 at the time. So how could they host something on a newspaper looking for science fiction stories who were they at that point like and they're like yeah. we don't remember doing that that's crazy so her her uh, court case was dismissed obviously um and if you try to find that book that third eye book it's not really a book it's just a bunch of like court cases and stuff like published in in a something that looks like a book with like the matrix font and everything she has gone on to have kind of a career off of lying to people saying that I'm the actual creator of the matrix and they stole that idea from me. She has an Instagram where all it is, is how she perpetuating that lie. And she has a huge following. She's got a bigger following than us. Despite telling people I wrote the matrix because we want, I think that there is some kind of, um, satisfaction in believing the narrative that this small time underdog wrote this massive franchise and was robbed by it from uh the wachowskis and warner brothers studios you know
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah there are a lot of groups you know especially on the internet
4: is their outlet to like that are either impoverished or just you know not in a great you know state in terms of their lives uh either financially or otherwise and look at the powers that be and and see them, them as the antagonists you know and relish any opportunity they see to find like oh someone was stolen and like they or didn't get their due credit um, and uh, I, could, I could easily see how the volatile Twitter culture that we're in right now can kind of you know, take this moment and write uh, it through whether it was true or not it's
0: crazy how, how people will cling to this this lie and they're able to get away with it we've been seeing this more and more every year it feels like now you have like groups that just don't, can't believe anything you know except what someone online is saying and that's kind of the weird thing that's come from the Matrix. Not not come from the Matrix, but I think the Matrix is just kind of like, it just kind of points it out is how, you know, you have someone like Morpheus, right? It's like, I'm going to tell you the truth and this is the truth. And then the person, i.e. Neo, feels like, I need to spread this. I need to, I'm Neo and I need to spread this message and tell everyone on the planet. And then it's like, well, what if Morpheus was full of shit? And what if he was trying to profit off of that? Some people feel like they need to spread positive messages. Or not positive. They need to spread this message uh, regardless of the truth. Because someone's lying to them. Someone's lying to me. Hollywood's lying to me. Fauci's lying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, this group's lying to me. That group's lying. I need to. I, I need to get the truth out regardless of whatever it takes. And then you'll have a whole bunch of people like that just get together. And it's like.
2: (sighs) Yeah, I I think what's happening is people taking advantage of people's people in power, taking advantage of people without powers, uh, loss of a sense of self, loss of a sense of control. And they're like, we will make you feel like you're in control by making you feel like you believe the truth and no one else does. Well, that's a downer way to end the episode on a movie
0: that we all loved.
2: <laughs> but here's here's the flip side, though. Like. The Wachowskis are not are not these people, you know, they're not trying to to control us. You know, they're, they're trying to enlighten us with their with their movie, they're trying to give us, you know, like a cool, cool action movie, something we've never seen before, but also something that maybe we can resonate with personally. Yes, and I for me that's why I'm so excited about the Matrix, the the new one, because they're finally going to take, or Lana is finally going to take that that narrative of the red pill and take ownership over it again. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so I, that's so exciting for me.
0: Yeah, it's you know that that is a good way of looking at it. I think it's a it's a film that just invites so much so much conversation and so many ideas. And you have the Wachowskis that are, that are here saying, Hey man, just, you know, explore at your will. Just don't be an asshole. Some people are assholes and you're right. I think with the matrix resurrection, she'll be able to clear that narrative up once and for all and say, and say what she needs to in that movie. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. None of us really know what the, what the movie is about, (laughs) but you know, We'll see. I'm excited for it. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm curious to see because their last film was Jupiter Ascending. They haven't made a movie since 2014, 2015, and since that I, one came out. Sometimes
2: I feel like if I go back and watch Jupiter Ascending, maybe I'll like that movie. Maybe I'll understand it more because I think there's some moments, some moments of brilliance in it. Yeah, I mean Eddie Eddie Rayman's performance is uh is one for the books for sure.
0: I need to go <laughs> back and rewatch it. Uh, or yeah, because I can't. I don't know.
2: Maybe I, maybe we just weren't ready for it, because the Wachowskis are such forward thinkers.
0: Well, okay, look, that's the case for Speed Racer a hundred percent, and I feel that way about Cloud Atlas to a certain extent. Not as strongly Absolutely. as Speed Racer, uh, but definitely Cloud Atlas has a lot. It has a lot more. Has a lot more um, a value than people will, would would say. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot more a lot more there than people give it credit jupiter ascending i'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say all right i it needs a it needs a re re rewatching, but hey you know what they they've been making bangers so we'll see we'll see but i think it's time to get to quotes
2: less yes 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 let's get to quotes Oh. Um George, I think you usually go first because you have multiple quotes because you can't follow the rules. Uh
0: <laughs> well, I I do have two quotes. <laughs> um but one is kind of like how I mentioned earlier, I think um a w- w- uh, a quote that always makes me like excited is when Morpheus is like, "Is that do you think that's air that you're breathing?" during his mm. scoring match with uh with uh Neo. Love that line. But I think how I feel about this film as a whole is also by Morpheus. Um, I don't think we gave him enough. I don't think we gave a Lawrence Fishburne enough credit, but
3: he's no, incredible. We didn't.
2: In this, North, th- I'll just say it right now. Morpheus is my favorite character in the Matrix. Shit. I,
3: yeah, I, I, I think so, too.
2: He, I, yeah. There's something that's like he's the way he, how how much faith he has in Neo. He has so much faith his so sunglasses much- are only half there. You know, they're just hanging on the bridge of his nose. That's how faith this man has.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's but he's also he's also selfless. When he sacrifices himself to save Neo, knowing what he does. It's 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 a big step, and I, I, I commend him for that, you know. Um Morpheus, uh Trinity, Carrie Ann uh Carrie Ann Moss. Wonderful actress, incredible. I don't think she got enough, I don't think she got. The roles she should have after this one, I think she's a phenomenal actress. Amazing and obviously phenomenal. Mm -hmm. She should have gone on to do way bigger things. Um, And obviously Keanu. Um, But my my last quote and how I feel about this movie to people who haven't seen it or haven't rewatched it, courtesy of Morpheus, the quote is: "Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You (laughs) have to see it for yourself." That's how I feel about it. Oh my this movie. god. Which is what my
2: dad said to me after watching The Matrix, knowing that I wouldn't be allowed to watch it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have to see it for yourself. Yep. It it's it's we could talk all day about this movie, but in the end of the day, if you haven't seen this movie, there ain't shit we could say that will perfectly cap capture what this movie's like. So you gotta watch it. Alright, Austin, you wanna go?
2: Yes. Um, this is like, for some reason, well, I know why the reason, but, um, when they're with Neo and he has that like little squid thing inside of his stomach, um, switches like our way or the highway. And he's like, fine. And he tries to like leave the car and Trinity's like, no, you know, you have to trust me. Why? Because you've been down there, Neo, you know, that road, you know, exactly where it ends. And I know that's not where you want to be. That quote to me is like so, so powerful because I think change is, is scary, you know, and staying in, staying comfortable is easier, but it's also like soul crushing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Jeez, I am getting emotional right now just talking about it. Ugh. Like nothing has given me more like quit my job energy than that, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a good quote, man. Going back to what we were saying, this movie hits on so many so many things. every person can watch this and pick something out in a quote that just fuck just fucks with you so much so i that's a good one man you good austin i'm I'm good <laughs>
2: yeah i got a, i no, got emotional hearing it myself a, that was a that's a good good quote
0: <laughs> it is it's a great scene so Dylan, uh, my quote, you gotta cap this off, man.
4: let's see, um, I have tried to set this up when I think about powerful moments in this movie that dialogue that, that, you know, turns the, you know, the hairs are on the back of your neck up, you know, and uh, thinking about why this movie is uh, the greatest of all time and my favorite film of all time. And uh, there's a sequence uh, after Neo is first unplugged and he ends up throwing up after his first introduction to what the Matrix is. Uh, He has a conversation in his room with Morpheus, and he tells him, you know, when the Matrix was first created, there was a man born inside uh, who could change whatever he wanted. And when he died, the Oracle prophesies his return. And why he spent the rest of his life or most of his life uh, looking for him. And he did what he did because he believes the search is over.
2: I love Morpheus.
0: Yeah. And I like that scene a lot. When Neo wakes up and Morpheus is sitting right next to him. This is, this is an action movie that has balls of the wall action. And yet you have those character moments where they're prophesizing. But they're also trying to relate to each other. And explain just this shitty situation that they're in. And just trying to find some hope. You know? Because that's what it is. It's faith. It's hope. There's nothing. Morpheus doesn't know on a scientific level that Neo is the one. He's just putting that on faith, and that's there's something really human about that,
2: yeah, and as the movie goes the series goes on that faith is not just in in some kind of prophecy, it becomes in neo himself there's something like very like parental about his love for neo that's just yes. like very reassuring
0: absolutely
2: I, yeah, and then I, when he god. when he like breaks his own
4: faith from time to time in the sequels you you really feel it like, oh my god, if he does if if his faith is shaken, what does that mean for us? You know, have we lost all hope?
0: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments is when Morpheus like breaks out of his cuffs, oh and yeah runs over, and like the way Neil like jump like they jump for each other, ah, oh, I think you hit it right on the head. It's parental right and i yeah. I never found I never knew the word to describe their relationship, but I think that's it, and it's wonderful to see and it's a shame I don't think Lawrence Fishburne is in the new one. Um, I have my own theories as to why that is. But we're going to see. It's only a few days away. So, yeah. Look, if you're excited about Matrix Resur- Resurrections, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, or just you have never seen it, watch this fucking movie. It's on HBO Max. You have it. Buy it or whatever. Rent it. Watch, stream it. Just watch this movie.
2: Buy the version with the correct color coordination.
0: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's yeah. Um, this movie's incredible. You're not gonna regret it. And even look, and even if you don't like action movies, just watch it because you're at least gonna see a movie that's gonna stand the test of time. People are gonna be talking about Matrix forever. Mm-hmm. It is a movie that is part of film history, and it's like you know people telling you to read. A Tale of Two Cities or great Expectations or to read like an Edgar Allan Poe poem, you know, you may not like it, but, or to read a Shakespeare play, you know, like a Romeo and Juliet. You may not like Romeo and Juliet, but fuck it, just read it. Yeah, well, when you think
4: it's, about it's like fucking... the archetypes of storytelling that have come from, you know, old stories like, you know, and poets like you, the ones you just described, like the Matrix, you know, and the Wachowskis have, have set a a template that has like driven most of the innovations and in technology that we are all like completely you know codependent on you know in real life and and movies video games so many things in sci-fi culture now like are all trying to emulate what the matrix does in the story so i mean I from do- that alone it's like you know it's a it's a it's a required you know piece of i don't want to say literature but it you know required viewing for all movie lovers and storytellers
0: absolutely damn i love how you just say things and like Mm -hmm. like the way you say things is so great i'm envious of it because you just you you just you capture exactly what i'm trying to say but you say it's so much better and i'm like god damn dylan i love you man i i love it when you're on the podcast i love everyone who's been on the podcast you just you're just throwing me no the alley of george
4: you know i just gotta, gotta lay it out that's <laughs> it
0: <laughs> no but thank you again for joining us dylan this is a great episode man thank you so much um, for having me
4: this was a great time
0: we, we've got a great month left ahead we've got lord of the rings next Follow fuck, wow. man, we're following up banger mm-hmm. after banger.
4: I love this movie. I can't wait to hear this episode.
0: <laughs> oh, it's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be a long one too, like this one. Are, are you but guys doing I, the extended version
4: gonna... or the
2: theatrical?
0: The I think theatrical.
2: We're doing... I hate extended versions.
4: Oh, no, it's so good.
2: Really? It's so good. I, I don't Honestly. like. I hated. I, I hated the uh, the fourth um harry potter movie because i watched the extended version oh that's right oh but those aren't those are just like deleted scenes that get you know, stitched yeah, back I, in like i know especially return of the king
4: extended oh my like that that's a required you have to
2: you have to maybe but you know what i'll, I'll just get over it you, you you won't you
4: won't feel it even though they're a lot longer you won't feel it it's very well paced the extended versions mm. are the quintessential versions that's my vote for all your all your viewers i'm sure they will agree The extended editions are for Lord of the Rings specifically, all three of them extended editions for sure.
2: Cause you know what? I did notice, like, I remember watching Lord of the Rings when I was a kid and I'm like, I think I missed something. And I watched it again, that, that prologue over and over again. And I'm like, no, there's just something that's not here. Something I'm I'm just supposed to know that I don't know. Oh, well, watch the rest of the movie, I guess.
0: (laughs) Um, I was going we'll to say... get into I, that, though. That was, that was going to be a discussion whether which which version we were going to do. But look, either way, this movie's a banger. And this, we're ending the year off really big. Um, we, we started it off with The Matrix. So, thank you very much, you guys, for joining us, for listening to us. Austin, where can they reach us?
2: You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at retrograde underscore pod. We also have a YouTube channel, Retrograde Podcast, where we post some of our long-form videos and all of our trailers. And I'm going to put our episodes on there as well. But there are some cases where we use some uh, copyrighted music, you know? Uh, even though our work is transformative and we're, like, reviewing it, you know, YouTube doesn't care, you know? let <laughs> ask the people working with toy animations. Anyway, we'll get our episodes on there eventually. And we're also on Facebook, but Facebook at, at this point, it's just automated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we will see you again in one week this time, because we are trying to cram in two episodes for in December, and there's a lot of other stuff going on in our lives. Yep. So it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to be amazing. All right, that's all we have for you. We'll see you in 1 week. Bye-bye.
0: You didn't bye, say bye, bye, George. No, I I usually don't say bye. You you always you, say bye. Well, no, I you usually have the final word. You you, you usually have the final say. You usually say see you guys. All right, see you guys. And then you hum
2: the the song. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>